Sirius 197, XM202, the virus. The Ron and Fez show starts right now. Okay, let's get down. Down toy boppers. Oh, that sounds like a Friday. Yeah, buddies. All right, pals, it's the Ron and Fez Show. Live on a Friday, 866-RON-ZERO-FEZ. 866-RON-ZERO-FEZ. We'll take your Ichibans today. And hey, fucking stuff guy, what does Ichiban mean? Number one. What does it mean? Number one. All right. So you just pick up the telephone. Tell us what you think is the big story stuff you want to talk about. 866-RON-ZERO-FEZ. 866-RON-ZERO-FEZ. Lots of stuff coming up on the Ron and Fez show today. Uh, Wavy Gravy, the infamous uh, member of the Hog Farm, Merry Pranksters, Woodstock Nation, brand new uh, documentary out that's just... Fantastic! It's called Saint Misbehaving. Um, if you're a fan of the '60s, and who is it? Chris Stanley sits around all the time, going like this. Oh man, '60s were great. Why couldn't I have been alive then? Well, you would have just been just as dull as you were today. What? So wavy gravy uh, coming on a little later on the show, and then we also have an unmasked with Eddie Brill. Eddie is this, uh, well, he's a phenomenal comic himself, uh, international comic, travels the world doing comedy, but also is the talent coordinator on the Letterman show for comedy, and he's the guy who discovers comics, uh, works to set out with them, and goes on the Letterman show. So there's a lot of backstage uh, talk about what it takes to be a, a, a comic and get on the Letterman show, and it's one of those things that every comic dreams of. This is like, I got to get my shot, I got to get that thing happening, and um, you just sit at home and watch, but after hearing this, you'll know a lot more about it. And then, of course, Search, Search, Hurry Up and Search be played today. Uh, there's no stopping Liam. What's the prize today, Fez Watley? It is a baseball signed by Mr. Keith Hernandez. Keith Hernandez. All right, let me tell. Let me explain something. To, and this was a hero of yours, Hicks. Oh yeah, growing up, fucking back then, it was it was a shit. Uh, this is the thing. Um, Dwight Gooden didn't know how to do coke. Then he was lucky enough to meet Mr. Keith Hernandez. Santa baseball. Thank God. Uh, Keith Hernandez. All coming up. A little later on in the show today. I forgot that we had the big sounder for uh, this. We're pretty bad at the uh, at drops. We're pretty bad at it. All right, eight six six run zero fez eight six six run zero fez. Let's get the Ichiban started. Steve, Steve, you're on the run of fez show. Uh, Ronnie B got one for you. Nicole Richie getting married this weekend, and sources say that Paris Hilton will not 
be at the wedding. Well, if this was 2003, I think it would be a major story. But yeah. aren't they back just to being regular people now? She's marrying John Madden, though. That's kind of weird. She should marry John Madden. The guy was a fantastic coach and yeah. then um, changed the way people watch pro football. John I Madden. Agree 100%. Now, I might be wrong here. Isn't he a little old for her, though? Isn't he uh, slightly old? I think John's in his uh, late 70s. And, they say uh, age is just a number, though, right? It is just a number. Um, we'll see how it works out. 866-RUN-ZERO-FEZ. 866-RUN-ZERO-FEZ. This is how the Ichibans get done. Ichiban. You say to yourself, it's a big story. Ichiban. I bet Ron and Fez want to talk about it. Ichiban. And then you're the Ichiban person. Here's Tina. Tina, what do you got for me, darling? Hey, Ronnie. How are you? I am cool in the motherfucking gang today. <laughs> um, Ichiban, Westboro Baptist folks are pulling their shenanigans at Elizabeth Edwards' funeral. Well, this is the thing that uh, I don't think we realized while she was alive, but God hates her. And oh, exactly. that's why she died. They have this premise that only people that God hates dies. And that's why they died. Um it's never occurred to them that maybe there hasn't been in the history of the world this really good person who's now 5,000 years old. Like, I guess God hated Moses, God hated Jesus, God hated George Washington. I don't know, I guess he just, I hate to say it, but hate has got to hate. That's what God should be wearing right now. That should be his shirt. Or I got to hate. I think he's rocking one up there right now. I will tell you this, if anyone's going to live forever, it's going to be our own Chris Stanley. Because God love him. That's what people say when they talk about Chris Stanley. Oh, Chris Stanley, God love him. I don't see myself going down anytime soon, Ron. All right. Uh, now I found out that, yes, God uh, does uh, hate Moses and was really furious with him. Um, let's go over here to Bill. Bill in GA. Ronnie B, got an Ichiban for you. I need one. The state of Florida has granted Jim Morrison his pardon. Pardon me, Jim Morrison. Pardon me. Uh, did they bring a skeleton up and put it on the... Or they just uh, just left him out of it completely? Yeah, I think he's still just rotting somewhere. They you know, the pardon wasn't enough. They should have said, we just want to say that our cops were a bunch of right-wing dicks and acted like assholes, and lied, and it's too hot and humid here. You can't walk down the street feeling like you're wearing a hot dish towel, wet dish towel, wherever you go in life. What a fucked up state. Well, it's good for Gold Bond. Gold Bond sells 99% of their problem. Um, all their products just move out of there. Uh, let's go to Joe. Joe in Iowa. <laughs> Ronnie B. Yeah. Police in Detroit say man dies after being punched by Burger King worker. See, people don't realize this. You know, when you're a kid, you can punch anyone. When you're a grown man and you punch people, you could end up going to jail for life. And everyone forgets that. Everyone's like, oh, he got knocked the fuck out. But a lot of times you hit a guy, he goes down, hits a fucking car bumper on his way down, and he's dead. And then you're spending all your time going, 
Well, you didn't understand. He called me an asshole. You know, it's always embarrassing while you have to get around to explaining why you punch someone. Uh, well, I had my seat at the bar, and then when I was over playing Frogger, I came back. He was there, so I killed him. It's always embarrassing. You scuffed my sneakers. What yeah. the fuck? At uh, this thing, and I know people got to hold their rep. You don't want your rep fucked with, but at the same time, uh, your, your rep might be better if you just if your rep was. He thinks he's too good for this barroom shenanigans. Uh, but when you're drinking, it all becomes important to you. Oh, yeah. Nothing else matters but just fucking, you know, not being disrespected. I saw a middle-aged guy punch another middle-aged guy because one of them said Prince wasn't a very good guitar player. And I'm going to tell you the truth. When the one guy hit the floor, I was ready to kick him in the head and started screaming out, Purple Rain, motherfucker, Purple Rain. But it all felt very embarrassing. And then, suppose someone dies. You can't sit in front of a jury and say... Son of a bitch was running down Prince. This isn't justifiable, is it? It felt like it was at the time. Uh, Ichibans, they're flying fast and furious. You better get on this. 866-RON-ZERO-FEZ. 866-RON-ZERO-FEZ. Ichiban. Ichiban. Bill Boston, you're on the Run of Fez show. Hey, Ron, Frogger, what, what year is this? Uh, Frogger is still in New York dive bars. All right. Well, here's my easy Here's box. what you need to understand about dive bars. Everything that you go into, all the games are retro. Nobody wants a new video game. They want an 80s video game. Oh, it seems hip, kind of like something Pepper Hicks would do. What's that supposed to mean? Yeah, suddenly you're running down somebody who does nothing but care about you. Hicks fucking rules. I'm just making jokes here, Ron. I thought but it hurts. Thing. Some of your jokes hurt him. He's Come sensitive. On, Pepper, I'm sorry. I don't know if I accept that apology. Well, how about I give you an Ichiban instead? Well, let's do this. I just watched a video on TMZ of an 18-year-old Miley Cyrus smoking salvia from a bong and then laughing like a crazy person. Now, this and is a very... Yeah, first of all, this comes down to two things. If you're not uh, familiar with salvia, well, you're missing out on a lot of YouTube fun. Um, you... Smoked this uh, thing, and I guess it hits quick, it doesn't last that long, but while you're doing it, you're in another world. Oh, yeah. Now, I am uh, clean and sober, gratefully clean and sober, and so I've never smoked salvia. Hicks, you on the salvia gimmick. Yeah, if you go through like a fish lot when there's a show outside, people are just giving it out, because it's like a legal industry, and... It's been hit or miss. You can smoke some, they'll fuck you up for a short amount of time, and then there's some that's like, no, this is bullshit, nothing's happening. Well, it basically uh, hits hard, and then it's not, not even you, something... Like, somebody's got to be straight there, right? Somebody's yeah, got to watch the sound. Yeah, you get ahead. real fucking silly real fucking quick. All right, let's uh, put this on. Uh, it's on TMZ, by the way, and this is young Miley Cyrus, and who doesn't love Miley Cyrus? Um, and here she is. Taking a nice big hit off for uh, Bong here. Fucking ripping it, Miley. And as she's... So there's her friends, and of course it's all being videotaped. Okay. 
And you can kind of hear her friend coaching her. Now all of a sudden she thinks one of her friends is someone else. And you start to laugh like an idiot. Oh, yeah. yeah. All right, give me a pause on this. All right, so she takes the hit. Yeah. And it within seconds it starts to It starts to just creep up in your fucking head, yeah. Now, it, is it trippy? Would you compare it to mushrooms? Would you compare it to... I think it's a little mushroomy. Like a, it's like a super light. You get like super light trip effects. Maybe some light lights get a little weird, and uh, so gets shit gets a little blurry. But you stop being able to communicate because oh, I watch <laughs> these kids and they just start talking uh, gib gibberish. All right, let's go back to this. Is that me tripping? Now it's getting stronger Holy on her. Shit. Yeah, it's, it's creeping up on her. Now she's falling down. Are you sure he doesn't look just like us? Oh my god. And her friend has put the fucking video right in her face. Oh yeah. So she look Tell us what's on your mind, girl. And they're so hip, they're listening to the fucking Eagles. Before that, they were listening to Bush. Oh. <laughs> what the fuck year is this? <laughs> Listen. Alright, let's stop it for a second. So the, the drug basically turns you into Ar Arnie Grape. She right away she's fucking Arnie Grape now. She's retarded and she's just talking gibberish. Back to it again. Get it. All right, this fucking, all right, first of all, there's a couple of things here uh, where you're looking at this kind of fucking shit goes on. Number one, if you're famous, you don't have a fucking friend. No. This fucking cunt who was taking the video was basically feeling like she just walked down the street and an ATM machine was open. Fuck yeah. You know, she's like thinking, come on, talk to me, girlfriend. Say it to Tim. I mean, say it to me. <laughs> How tri you tripping? Um, so you just get into another fucking world on this dope. Yeah, it, it, it can get real weird real quick. And from the outside, again, it looks like the person turned retarded, like brain damaged immediately. Yeah, she was speaking tongues within whatever fucking 30 seconds. Just crazy gibberish. No. Any, what are the downsides to this? Have we had ODs? Have we had somebody go into a mental ward, or you just write it out? It's something you can write out because it doesn't last that long. Right. And, uh, and I mean, it's still legal. You can still buy, I can go fucking online and buy a pound of salvia right now and smoke all day long in my house. Now, the other part of this, there's two fucking things. Well, it might be legal, but she looks like shit on TMZ. Oh, yeah. I mean, 
She's got Disney deals and all that. And I don't know how to fucking point this out to the social network generation. But all there's no fucking reason to fucking tape yourself getting high. But it looks cool. I'm going to fucking say it again. Don't tape yourself getting high. It's going to fucking end up on TMZ. I'm going to fucking just point something out to fucking people. In Philadelphia, before you would chop lines, you put the fucking blinds down. You lock the fucking door. Occasionally you get up and check the fucking people. Somebody's got to stay on the fucking perimeter. You're being watched, Miley. You're being fucking watched. That ain't your fucking friend you're hanging out with. Jesus Christ. What's wrong with these fucking kids? They can't wait to sell each other out? Nope. What a fucking generation of cocks. You're a generation of fucking narcs. I hate that fucking hayseed who's videotaping her. Let this fucking kid chill the fuck out. You know what I'd like to do? I'd like to see some kind of fucking TMZ show where they follow around people who sold shit to TMZ. <laughs> And fucking put up, this is how much money this fucking Judas got for selling out her fucking friend. The informant show? They are. They're fucking narcs. You're not my fucking friends. You're 21 Jump Street. I got to fucking hide with people who would hide a fucking body for you. Not these, this fucking generation of Judas. You fucking piss me off. Anyway, I might have got a little personal there. But obviously, everyone gives a fuck about Miley Cyrus smoking this fucking shit. When if you go on YouTube, it's filled with fucking stupid girls her age who fucking tape each other and put it out there. Yeah. And then they all get retarded on it. They love it. Can't get enough of it. Now, I don't know anything about this drug, and I hate to say it, but it's got me fucking a little interested. I got to fight that off. I'm like, how come that's not on my fucking dossier? Oh, salvia in that. Um, let's go over here to uh, Brian, you're on Renifest. Hey, how's it going? Yeah. Yeah, I tried that uh, down in Houston, and I, where it was legal, and I melted into the bed in <laughs> the hotel room, into the comforter. There was some, uh, like, times 10 stuff. I guess they have different grades of it, concentrations. Yeah. How long did it last, though? Oh, like a minute, but it seems like a lifetime. Uh, the office was playing on the TV, and I melted into the bed, and then I swear to goodness, I thought I was actually in the show. And then like a minute later, you wake up, and you're just, you're just laying on the bed, and it just you can snap back to reality. It's just, wow. And there's no kind it, of after effects? It's not like it stays like you keep thinking about it like you do with acid? Like, no, no. It's not no, life-changing? No, it's just retarded work. for a while? Yeah, you just it, once it's done, it's it's gone. Like a and whippet. You're just like, wow, did that okay. really happen? Yeah, just like whippets. There's there's a good example. Uh, and why? All right, here's what's it selling for? A half ounce is fifteen bucks of the leaf of the fucking of uh, the you know the plant itself. Now, how long would that last you? I mean, um. How many fucking salvia highs are you getting off? That? I don't know. Depending on how, if you're smoking it, if you're smoking it out of a bowl. I mean, maybe you know, for a couple of weeks, maybe if you're if you're smoking a few bowls a day. 
All right, so you'd be fucking retarded smoking a few bowls a day. There's got to be a downside <laughs> to this. I mean, the fact that it's legal, but you, you, I, I, there was brain cells just fucking popping off there <laughs> like it was Fourth of July fireworks. She lost her shit. She's dumb enough to be fucking Miley Cyrus at the end of this. Uh, Paul, you're on Fez. Hey, how you guys doing? Good, man. I, uh, my wife wanted to take my uh, daughter. She was Disney Channel. invited us to a private audition. They, they try to audition the kids early. To integrate them into programs and stuff, and I just wouldn't do it, man, because I, I see a lot of Disney Channel people just doing stupid shit. Yeah, but guess what? The fucking kids that she goes to school with are doing stupid shit. If she's going to college, someone's going to be getting fucking high. I mean, I know that the only difference is that fucking kids that you hung out with, no one gave a shit about, so they weren't on TMZ. <laughs> now, I got fucking high with a million people. Not one of them had a fucking gig of any kind. Not one of them thought, like, hey, I'm working on stuff. Really, it seems like it's coming together. I had fucking friends high-fiving each other if they had jobs unloading trucks. Oh, nice. Like, look at you. Fucking now, you're on top of the world. You're unloading fucking trucks. Shit, now you're yeah. too fucking good for the guys here. <laughs> you know, our long-term plans, a guy would say to you, I'm really working on some stuff. Looks like I'm going to get off work release. And oh, when that happens, look at you. you know, life is going to start going my way. But you don't fucking rat each other out, and you don't fucking sell tape. I want this fucking hillbilly's fucking name. Seriously. Right. The fucking broad who is just pointing that thing at her going, Go ahead, talk to me, girlfriend. <laughs> get it, girl. Go, go for it. Go for it, girl. You ain't fucked up enough. Hey. We segue in from Bush to the Eagles. We're kicking ass. <laughs> you fucking... Who the fuck are those people? I no clue. And who's this Liam character she keeps thinking she's saying? That's somebody. That's her man. Her man. Yeah. <laughs> Is that Liam? She's so fucking high. It, the, it was like that John Malkovich movie where she just looked up, saw her boyfriend's head on everybody's body. <laughs> I hope it's not Liam from Talent. Um, Jaron, you're in front of Fez. Hey, what's up, Ron and Fez? Um, yeah, everybody has their phone out now at all the parties and everything. It freaks me out. It makes me all paranoid, man. You don't want to be on camera when you're tripping or rolling or you got that... Are, are your friends fucking taping everything, Hicks? Fuck no. I, I won't allow that shit. Like, get the fuck anything away Look, from me. I'm going to fucking understand something. When we come into this fucking room, what we do here is secret. What do you got to do? Fucking burn pictures of fucking saints in each other's hands just to feel like you can be comfortable? <laughs> you got to fucking do a blood oath? You don't point fucking cameras at each other. You, uh, I'll just say this, Hicks. Okay. You're a retarded generation of exhibitionists. Oh, yeah. None of you, none of you know how to do something without a fucking camera in front of it. And none of you are fucking interesting. You're all dull Fucking boring fucking people look, shouting out cliches. She still sound girlfriend. Tell me about a girlfriend like it's 86. You don't even have your own fucking slang. But they're following I, beers and whatnot. Get, you know what? Get me a... Uh, I want a fucking meeting with everybody in their 20s. Okay. And I want to fucking sit them down and fucking try to teach them how to be a person. I'll put a memo out. What a bunch of fucking idiots. Um, here's, uh, let's go over here. Uh, Pat, Pat, you're in Ronnie, uh, got a eye on salvia one time, uh, hit the long, lasted for about five minutes, 
I could see my dead grandparents, and at one point I thought like Big Bird and Cookie Monster and the rest of them were trying to roll me up in the carpet. It felt like it lasted for hours, and six minutes it went by. And it's legal? It's legal, yeah. It, well, that... I don't think it's legal in Ohio anymore, but, yeah, I mean, you can get different grades of it for different prices, like 30, 60, 90, whatever. Hey, I got to fucking point this out. It's dead fucking grandparents and fucking uh, kidnapping Muppets. Yeah. That's what, uh, that's what, that's what's legal. Oh, it's, it's, you can't ship it to a few states, but uh, most of the country, you can still good. And some fucking black kid up on one, on 135 has got to run his ass off because someone sees him with a fucking crack rock. Yeah. And these fucking white kids are just fucking videotaping each other, getting fucked up. Um, Dylan, you're on the Run of show. Yeah, hey, Ron. Yeah. Um, I'd be lying if I didn't say this is like triggering me hardcore. I'm like shaking. Just uh it's nothing that I want to do because it sounds terrifying. But uh I was in the psych ward um for a stretch and there was one girl I knew who had told me that she had smoked a lot of salvia and she was going into seizures like every Every uh, couple hours. Now, were you dog shit crazy before you started smoking this stuff? I mean, was this just something that pushed you over the edge? Well, I never did it. I, I never. Oh, you were it. just a fucking. You're just a nut on your own. This is I'm just yeah. I'm an addict. I'm crazy. Uh-huh. Uh I'm depressed. Um, but I, you know, I took information from other people that I was in this uh, psych ward with, and and the girl told me outrageous stories, and she, basically she wasn't admitting that this constant use of salvia probably had triggered the, these seizures. In well, her. you know, I have no doubt that anybody who's got any kind of personality disorders, this could push over the fucking the side, oh, yeah, easily. you know? Uh, and that's what the same stuff that happened with acid. It was like, you know, the Brian Wilson types, oh, acid did this to me. Yeah, but... <laughs> it was always you, there underneath it, Yeah, right? you were right fucking there, man. <laughs> you know, there are people... Who, you know, have weak heads. There's no fucking way around it. Yeah. Some people have a weak fucking head. I know plenty of guys who just, you know, think, not that they didn't come back, but they were different afterwards. Oh, yeah. You know? Absolutely. <laughs> Gotten real weird and they're fucking constantly, you know, checking on shit that isn't there. Oh, and, yeah. Uh, but the weird thing is, like, you can come at, back from that, you know? Yeah. Um, there are people that have gone way out there. And after uh, a couple of years, uh, they turn it back around. Brian, you're on fuzz. What's going on, guys? Yeah. Uh, I just wanted to always talk about salvia. Is Fezzy going to recruit my boy uh, Hicks over there to get some salvia for the party? I don't know if we want Fez on salvia. Yeah. I'll have saliva. That'll be about it. A bit of a drooling problem. Maybe what we do... Get me a fucking video camera. Okay. I'm going to get fucking... Fez and Joey Pants, Salvi and a fucking trampoline. And I think that'll be the fucking video I try to get to go viral. I want to just fucking point this out, because I had this in the back of my head, that if I ever run a fucking mental clinic, and I'm fucking close with the people I know now, okay. I'm just going to have a lot of trampolines out there and just say, you know, take your morning meds, now get on the fucking trampoline for a while. Wear yourselves out. Yeah, where they're jumping up and down, they're fucking acting like they're birds or whatever. And before you know it, they take a nice nap. Then if they fall down, they're falling down on, you know, 
a fucking trampoline. They're going to be fine. Uh, Mike, you're on the Run Fez show. Hey, buddy. Uh, yeah, I used to take uh, in college. We used to get like this concentrated vials of this stuff, yeah. and we take bong rips of it. We put it on top of uh, you know uh, weed, and it's the best I could describe it uh, is it's almost like sucking a giant helium balloon. That head rush you have afterwards, but for five solid minutes. And when I would do it, I couldn't do anything. I would just sit there in this like catatonic state and drool on myself. And it was the most amazing thing that ever happened to me. It was it was unbelievable. I you mean, dug it. Oh, absolutely. You know, it's got to be a completely different experience from the inside. Because the people on the outside, I saw some fat girl just fucking talking gibberish for five minutes on YouTube. (laughs) And I hate to tell you, I was laughing like a fucking monkey. I was just like, look at this fat girl. She's just fucking chatterbraining away. She don't know what the fuck she's talking about. That's awesome. And, like, her friends were just laughing in her face. And now I was like, now, if you were her mother, you know, you'd be like, my little girl, she's retarded. (laughs) But I don't give a fuck. You put it on YouTube, I'll look at it. Fuck yeah. I don't care if somebody gets kicked in the balls on YouTube. Um, Joe, you're on Fez. Joe. Hey, Ronnie B. How you doing? Good, man. I just want to agree with you, man. I'm I'm a 28-year-old, and our generation, it's just, they're a bunch of idiots, man. I was, I was in the Marine Corps. We were living in Iraq, and we specifically got told not to videotape anything stupid, obviously. And this asshole videotapes him throwing a puppy off a cliff. He gets kicked out of the Marine Corps. His whole life is ruined, and he he can't get any sort of job now. The weird thing is, you can get away with anything but hurting a puppy. You know? Yeah. It is a dumb thing to do, Ronnie B. Don't get me wrong, but this kid's life is ruined because they're being jackasses, and they wanted to giggle about it later. Yeah, why why doesn't the fucking memory... Why isn't that enough? It's it's not enough now, man. It's crazy. they're, you'll see these guys, they're like, oh, I'm going to videotape this girl while I'm banging her. I'm going to move this. You know you're fucking like a goddamn zombie. You're not fucking pleasing anybody <laughs> while you're holding on to a fucking camera. Uh, and Marines taping shit that they're doing? Oh, yeah. It's happening. That's like, this shit gets leaked the fuck I, every now and then. I, I mean, you've got to know, if you're running a military, this, this shit isn't going to go over. They don't want to fucking see this shit going down. Um, 866-RON-ZERO-FEZ, 866-RON-ZERO-FEZ. Uh, here's Lance, Louisiana. Hey, good morning, guys. Let me put my shrimp pool boy down real quick. You, you, you're living like a king. Fucking yeah, I, I have a confession, Ron. I, I sold the video to TMZ. What was yours? Well, we went to a, a Tim McGraw and Faith Hill concert, and... Tim McGraw had jumped down off stage to, like, walk around and high-five people while he was singing. And a lady grabbed him, grabbed his package in the front. So a couple of songs later, Faith Hill comes out. And she started singing, and they point out the lady. I think I saw this. Yeah, I really did. Let me tell you, it's a big, it's a process to get a video sold at TNB. I mean, I know. How much money did you get for it? Oh, uh, we got about five grand. Now, see, you were just at the concert enjoying it, fucking illegally taping. Yeah, but, what we were doing, we were taking pictures, but the lighting was so good. Yeah. We were taking still pictures. I said, just take, just take a video and just see if it comes out. And right when she did it, 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 it came out. But listen, to sell something like that, I had to get an agent. You had to go that far. Yeah, well, most of these guys, like TMZ, I don't think 
they have employees. There's just stringers, you know? Yeah, There's just a bunch of guys on the fucking street, and they shoot stuff, and then they yell mean shit, you know? <laughs> and then the guy gets mad at them. Um, the Everybody Love Raymond brother. I forget what his name. He's like six foot eleven. this fucking guy. They can piss him off in a heartbeat, and he'll try to fucking grab their cameras, and he'll swing at them and shit. And... They all make money off him just by annoying him every day. Oh, yeah, Brad Garrett. Yeah, Brad Garrett. That's him. <laughs> so, like, if he comes out of a restaurant, hey, Brad Garrett, you haven't done any work lately. Hey, Brad Garrett, you show guy can't. Finally, he's like, fuck you. And, you know, he starts to come after him. And it just looks like a, like, <laughs> like Frankenstein, you know. <laughs> and you're just like, you know, maybe if he knew, hey, stop it. Um, this is, this is, this was the, uh, the tagline on Brad Garrett went off last night smacking a camera and challenging photographers, but he was arguably provoked. Yeah. <laughs> he gets fucking pissed and they know like that guy probably sold that for five, ten grand. So why wouldn't you just go, hey, for ten grand, if I can piss this guy off, make some cash. you know, I'll do it. And then if he punches you, he'll probably get a hundred grand. Fuck yeah. Uh, Chris, you're on running Fez. Hey, Ron, I got a question to ask you. Yeah. How come all these people are going out trying to salvia? I've never done drugs myself, never touched them, never smoked, never done anything myself. And I am curious to know why these people go out and try salvia, ecstasy, and all that other st stuff, and they sit there and say, oh, it's the greatest thing. I sit around, I slobber all over myself, and I shit all over myself. If I wanted to do something that good, I would go sit in a bathtub and do it myself without a drug. What is the big deal with all this stuff? Could you explain it to me? Uh, Hicks, why do you take drugs? Well, it feels good. I don't know. If I'm ta fucking taking ecstasy, I'm not going to be sitting around doing nothing. I'm going to be at a fucking show, enjoying myself. I don't know. I had a friend that was in the Navy. I went by his uh, uh, motel room, and he was doing ecstasy right there in the motel room, and all they could do was lay on the bed and shake and drool. And bite yeah, but that's not, the, that's not the fucking experience that you're having in your head. And I totally get you. There's some people who the, the thought of control, losing control, uh, they can't do it. Like, there are, there's plenty oh, yeah. of people I met in my life who's like, I have zero interest in ever having a drink. I, you know, I totally get, I mean, I don't understand them, but I get it. I think it's a, it's a way to live. I guess it rolls like that. Is that this Earl has no interest. Yeah. There are plenty of people uh, that have been around drugs for decades. And it was like, that doesn't interest me. They'll go into a bar. I'll have a fucking 7-Up. They'd rather live their life that way. Totally get it. Yeah, I, I need to get some in me. I will say this. If you look at the history of civilization, it's we need shelter. We need food. And then number three, we got to get fucked up. Somehow. And it happens everywhere. I mean, you, it doesn't no, matter where you go in the world, they either had uh, drugs or at least alcohol. Yeah. Which, let's fucking be honest here, it's a drug. You're taking a mood-altering drug. The fact that we separate alcohol from drugs is bullshit. Yeah, it's insane. Or even medicine from drugs. It's dope. Some dope you need. At certain times, some dope you're doing for fun, but it's all dope. Now, when people sit around and they go, I don't understand these drug dealers, but they're saying that while they're sitting in front of the fucking TV, drinking beer. Yes, you do. It's a fucking drug.
It's all just fucking scam. It's ridiculous. You just no, it's not. You know, just some got accepted and some didn't. That's all. Um, Mark, you're on the Run and Fest show. Mark, what do you got? Hey, Ron. Yeah. So, John Salvia, um, best sex I ever had. Well, well did the other guy like it, though? Maybe he is gay. That's fine. What did that mean? That if he had gay sex, it's nothing to laugh no, and I mean, mock about. I, I mean, who's talking? Me, Fez. Oh, there oh. he is. What I do? Did the gay subject come up? Yeah. Good to see you. All right, whenever I miss you, Fez, I'm just going to yell out, uh, there's something wrong with gay people. Or good, don't ask, don't tell, got knocked down again. Finally. And bring you back, <laughs> finally. Finally again. Um, Delco, Mark, you're on the Run of Fez show. Yeah, uh, in Delaware, home state jumping Joe Biden, um, a kid killed himself back in 2006, and now there's something called Brett's Law that uh, prohibits its use. So they uh, have an entire law just about a guy who OD'd or killed himself? Apparently so. I'd hate to have one of those laws named after me. Yeah, Megan's Law. Yeah, Amber Megan's Alerts. Law would be like the worst fucking law. No, I'm <laughs> Megan from Megan's Law. That was me. <laughs> the only one I wouldn't want to be would be L.A. Law. Uh, 866-RUN-ZERO-FEZ. 866-RUN-ZERO-FEZ. Here's Ted. Ted in Florida. You're on my fez. Listen, um, you're, you're absolutely right, man. I'm 34 years old, uh, and our generation is just terrible, man. I mean, everybody's, it's like about instant gratification, you know. I see these people texting every five minutes and Facebook and all this shit, man. I mean, I'm, I'm, I went to the extent of, like, I'm canceling my Facebook account just because people are just so stupid. And uh, I also want to touch on, I'm a bartender, you know, I'm a bar manager, and I feel like I'm a drug dealer, man. I mean, I see people come in stone sober. And I get them all fucked up and send them on their way and, you know. It's well, when it comes down to this thing of needing video and needing to put it up on Facebook, and it, it's almost like we're at the point where you feel like you can't have an experience unless everyone else sees you having that experience. You know, oh, I want to get in, engaged at a fucking Yankees game. Ugh. Oh, I want to get engaged on the Today Show. It's not between you and this fucking person. It's <laughs> and the world has to say you do it. And I, I'll fucking blame these rom-coms for this dog shit, too. <laughs> because they will, every fucking movie, right? He's got to fucking tell her in front of everyone. Yeah. You were the only one. And everyone is looking oh. because it doesn't mean shit if it's between two people. People have to see you acting out strangers so now you're not fucking declaring yourself to someone you're performing and this is the interesting thing you all do it poorly you are dull you are fucking assholes you feel like you need to watch and and perform check this out you are the worst generation of dancers in the history of the world Go back and look at stuff from the 50s, the 60s, the 70s. People were dancing their asses off. Now they're trying to dance funny in front of a fucking phone. Because you're so ironic that you can't go for real fucking things. You got nothing happening now. Because you need to be fucking watched. You know how, who else needs to be watched at all time? 
Babies! Babies need to have a fucking thing in their room so we know they're not choking on their own puke. The same as you fucking guys. You lay down at night and put a camera in front of yourself. That's what you have to do to an infant. Turn the lights off when you fuck. Hicks, I don't want to take you this personally, but none of you are friends to each other. This fucking hillbilly cunt sold out her friend for a little bag of gold. Yeah. It's scary. And you all fucking do it. You can't wait till your friends fall asleep so that you can videotape someone pissing on them. Or drawing on them. That's always a good one. Let's draw a swastika on Franklin, Joe's forehead. Franklin. Franklin. Uh, 866-RON-ZERO-FEZ. 866-RON-ZERO-FEZ. John, you're on the Run of Fez show. Hey, Ron Fez. How you doing, man? Good. I this is uh, John down in Tennessee. I got a serious question, bro. I, I've been on Oxycontin and uh, Oxycodone and morphine for years and shit. And they changed up the goddamn ingredient to Oxycontin where it don't work anymore. So these fuckers that were abusing it for people that need it, now the shit don't work. So everybody's going to fucking heroin. So what, what are you supposed to do? So, you know, the only thing you got left is oxycodone. You know, I mean, the 15 milligram oxycodone you know shit's fucked up. This is the fucking funniest thing about dope addicts is like... It might as well they be like they went to school to be a pharmacist. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, no one, no one could ever figure out the metric system mm -hmm. until we started dealing dope. Five milligrams, a quarter <laughs> milligrams. Like, how much? Is, what's going to do? Well, see, a quarter milligram Percocet is going to do a lot different than a gram of fucking Xanax. It's hysterical. And seriously, you will turn yourself into a doctor if. You have any fucking interest in it at all. Can you identify this pill for me? It says 74Z on it. Like, fuck, all right. That fucking nut dragon hillbilly knew exactly what he was talking about. <laughs> and he could tell the day they started changing the recipe on fucking Oxycontin. What the fuck just happened? I don't feel as fucked up as I used to. But, you know, I'm just going to put it, point out to the, and I'm just going to say West Virginia, but, uh, I'll spread it throughout that whole fucking region. They're cracking down on the Oxycontin for two reasons. One, you're dying and that gets on TV. And two, you guys are eating so much dope that you forgot to paint your fucking houses. Everyone is so fucked up down there that if their car runs out of gas, they leave it in the front yard for three fucking years. Nothing is getting done. No. And I just saw the uh, the Wonderful Whites doc, the giant Knoxville. Uh, oh, Jesus That's Christ. exactly what you told. They're just, just banging out rails in the delivery room. <laughs> yeah, because these fuckers, middle-aged people are like, yeah. they can't wait for the pill to fucking kick in. Yeah. They got to crush it and snort it. Mm -hmm. like, what you doing over there? What you crushing? Uh, Veronica, you're in oh. Ronifez. Veronica, we got you. Yeah, you got me. Hey, darling. Okay. I just, I cannot understand why it is that these kids write each other out. Seriously. Like, that is the worst thing you could do. I, I'm, I'm from, I'm in Georgia right now, but I grew up in Los Angeles. The people I used to run with and do the fun things, get high with, or whatever it is that we did when we were young, we took care of each other. 
We never, ever ratted each other out. And if one went down, we all went down together. So why are these stupid little cunts thinking that they can just go around and destroy people's lives like that? I don't get it. Like, I would... I would Here's why they do like it. That. For five seconds of attention. To be Recarded. the person whose video went fucking viral. And they're all about like, oh, my thing did this. And you have zero fucking content. Let's get them set, you, you get those hits up. I have two daughters. One's 18 and one's 21. And I tell them, don't trust anybody. Put that damn phone away. Oh, mom, we went to the club. You need to get those damn pictures off your Facebook, little girl. Are you stupid? Like, seriously. What? Oh, I just, I feel like murdering somebody. <laughs> I, seriously, I uh, grew up with people who would lie for you, fight for you. They would kill for you. There was none of this fucking shit of let's videotape and get out and fucking make sure you get busted. It's scary, and it's even worse with the teenage, with like kids in high school. I mean, it, it started, I guess, with my generation. Now, it's just it trickled down to so just it's full blown with everyone fucking, you know, in their teens. Uh, Corey, you're on the Run of Fez show. Yeah, what about this clown that brought down Michael Phelps? You know, at that party, not only him, uh, you know, all the people, everybody else that was there, the university got involved, and all that. Here's the thing: wouldn't it be cool enough just to sit there and get high with Michael Phelps? Yeah. Wouldn't that be the fucking thing? You know, there used to be dark rumors about people. Not any fucking more. Now they just, you're fucking... And I'm sorry, you're hitting on a fucking bong, and someone's pointing a fucking camera at you, and you don't fucking swing at them? Yeah. You just act like, well, that's just something he'll keep for his personal yeah. use. What are you, fucking nuts? That won't turn up again. <laughs> it, it's... Going to be a fucking, you know, then all these people are going to try to ex explain this as they're trying to get a job as a CEO or running for Congress one day. Well, those were crazy times, and that's why I let that guy shit on my fucking chest. Well, look at the girl that had a dildo on her nose or whatever that was uh, running yeah. for Congress. She got fucked. And she wasn't doing anything <laughs> that no one has ever done at a fucking, you know, like thing a before. party or whatever. And then, but people are like, well, she's got to be able to look out for that. She has no morals. Yeah, because you fucking sell each other out. This is the United States of America. It's fucking Judas. That's all it is. You got no fucking friends none you are entertainment to each other there's no deep fucking friendships jacob you're on the run of face show hello yeah oh uh, what's going on fellas um I, I just to reiterate on how nobody watches anybody's back uh i was in the military i was in the air force uh we had a buddy that we used to party with, go out, you know, have a good time with. Uh, one night, my buddy uh, called us to the, the front gate of the base and told him, you know, I've been drinking a little bit and just want to get to my dorm room, you know, could you just let me through? So sure, come on in, you know, just go straight to your room. All right. Well, we, he gets up to the, to the front gate. The guy has a slight leadership waiting for him. Pull him out, put him in handcuffs, and take him to jail. You know, and... Uh, but that guy got his, uh, his come up in a couple weeks later because I stomped the dog shit out of him. Well, you know, I mean, but it's. Well, you saw a little bit when, like, fucking rap came on the fucking show, a, a guy I knew from growing up. Yeah. And we kind of fudged around a couple of stories. People could tell more. T 
No, you, no, no. These are our fucking stories. These are our lives. You grow up with people that you would hide the fucking gun for. Even though you're like, that's the most fucked up thing I've ever seen anyone do. You're fucking nuts. Sit down, keep your mouth shut, and I'll fucking clean this up. You gotta figure this out, but don't worry. <laughs> but you can't fucking just turn it into, like, and act like it's nothing. It's fucking nothing to these people. People care less. They Not at all, rather. At, at a certain fucking point, then what is fucking life about? Just another fucking little bit to run online? Just some kind of throwaway fucking thing to do? I mean, we're at a time now when someone dies. Everyone can't be the wait to be the first one to Get fucking come out. up with a line. Yeah. You know why? You know why you do that? Because you're afraid to be alive. You're afraid to have true fucking feelings. You're a fucking afraid to hold something fucking precious. You have zero fucking content in your life. You're building on nothing. And you're not fucking glib, and you're not fucking funny. You're fucking hacks who steal bad one-liners for each other, or off t-shirts, and then retweet them. Too soon? Then they'll take yeah, with like that. Yeah, like, too soon. Like you fucking invented the line, too soon. You fucking list fucking makers. Here's my top five things. Fuck your top five things. Have a thought that is longer, that is too long to tweet. I fucking dare one of you. Have something in your fucked up life that you can't explain in a fucking tweet. You fucking hold nothing sacred. Nothing is held sacred to you. And that's why you can't fucking read novels. That's why you don't understand Steinbeck. That's why a fucking Dylan song confuses you. That's why you could read E.E. E. Cummings and not fucking get it. Because there's nothing to you. Your soul is fucking paper thin. Because you've never fucking thought, I'll fill this with something. Nothing. You've got fucking nothing. Oh, sure, we'll hand you the fucking keys to the country. That's why you're fucking spending your time bringing people fucking drinks, fucking working these shitty fucking jobs and going in the back and talking about how depressing your life is like it fucking matters. Well, that's why the core life crisis has come up as well. Because they haven't made it yet at 25. Because it's, it's so important to put blame somewhere else. Yeah. Fuck you, your blame, and your little fucking worries. Jesus Christ. There is a fucking universe of amazing things to fill yourself with. Um... Here's Mike. Mike, you're on the Ronnie Fast Show. Hey, good morning, Ronnie. You were talking about bad videos that people send. I have a buddy who's an orderly in a hospital. He sent me a picture of another fe a female orderly going down on him in a patient bathroom. Now, if I was a prick, 
I would have retweeted that because I'm his buddy. I've got it stored, and I'll never ever give it away. I just but why don't you just write back to him? What the fuck is wrong with why you? Why would you do this? <laughs> what the fuck is wrong with you? This is Joey Paul job. Don't think I'm just videotaping it. That's fucking crazy. It's fucking crazy. You're getting blown it's at a, work. That's not enough. It's a fucking nation of insanity. Uh, Dick, you're on the Ryan Fez show. Dick. Hello? Yeah. Oh, yeah. oh yeah. sorry. I thought, uh, well, anyways, um, yeah, the people that uh, uh, they're stupid enough to let themselves get videotaped and, and do all these stupid things, I don't really feel very sympathetic to them for the fact that they're, they know better, okay? They know better, but they do it anyways. They think that they're not going get, to get caught. And you know what? And as far as the kids, the kids go by how the parents teach them. And you know what? And the more stupid kids there are, make it actually easier for the for the parents that work hard with their kids. So this way, the kids please, can get ahead of them. You know, I'm, we have a fucking Oprah channel. Call with that dumb shit to her, would you please? It's all Billy Ray Cyrus's fault, I it's guess. It's really just who was that? It's Fez. Fez. Hey, buddy. Um, it's just. You know, you get into these things, and obviously, it's not like, well, parents are going to. I can't even explain it. I'm just going to fucking point it out and go off and do my thing. Because I fucking won't have any dent in them. No, it's you not. know, they're going to shrinks and this and that. And I don't give a fuck about any of them. I'm just spiral. fucking pointing out the truth that this fucking thing that you think you're living is not a fucking life. We'll break here. Uh, back in a couple of minutes. Something was on your mind now, Hicks. Something was driving you crazy today, you said, and you said... Oh, yeah, something happened uh, with, actually with Obama. Do we have... Do you, would you rather talk about it off the air, or you want to share this on the air? I think I want to share it on the air. You sure? Because you seem like you're pretty upset about I'm it. I'm fucking pissed. Okay. I don't know how to... I got to spend a couple moments with Chris Stanley, folks. He's all, all upset today. Thank so you. we'll take a break. Thank you. We'll come back and make a little bit of Chris Stanley time. I appreciate that. After the jump, it's right of fizz. Ron Fez on the virus. Serious XM. Oh, and remember, next Friday is Hawaiian Shirt Day. So, you know, if you want to, go ahead and uh, wear a Hawaiian shirt and jeans. Show 866 Run Zero Fez 866-RUN-0-FEZ. Zero Coming up at 2 o'clock today, uh, we'll be playing an unmasked episode with Eddie Brill. And uh, next week, we'll try to get the Mark Marin unmasked on for you as well. Uh, Wavy Gravy is booked to do the show a little later on this morning. Uh, he's got a brand new documentary out about his life called Saint Misbehaving. Uh, but... Something personal is going on here. My friend Chris Stanley is a little upset, and I wanted to take a couple moments 
to be with him. What are you all right, Chris? I'm okay. I'm I'm angry mm-hmm. and upset and uh, just you know perturbed. Does I guess this could have, be a word you can use? Does this have anything to do with fucking stuff, guy? Is it? Uh... <laughs> well, fucking stuff, guy. You know, it's that's something I you know love and you know enjoy being in. Mm. EastsideDaveCountry.com. Are you ever going to fuck any stuff, or is it just all... See, I'm not the fucking stuff guy. Right. I'm the buddy that, I guess, eggs him on to fuck things. I give him the okay. All right, so you're the guy who follows Kenny Powers around. (laughs) Yeah, sure, I guess I could be the Stevie for fucking stuff guy. I just don't want to be with any weird Mexican women, though. Even though Stevie has a great life. I didn't think she was that weird. I thought she was very attractive. I I apologize. I think we've gotten off track. Well, no, hey, it's just fucking stuff, guy. Yeah, okay. Likes to fucking hump things. All right, now let's move into your stuff. <laughs> okay, sorry. All right, so uh, at Thursday's, uh, there was a House Democratic caucus meeting on the tax cuts that got pushed through or whatever between you know, Democrats and Republicans. And someone, an actual one of the people there actually said, fuck the president, while uh, uh, Rep- uh, Shelley Berkeley was, was uh, defending the tax package. They said it really did happen, but they, they're, not, they're not dropping the dime on the guy yet. The fucking guy goes, you can't be going around saying fuck the president if you're in the fucking... In- I know who said it. Who said it? Joe Biden. Oh, seriously? I don't know if it was him. Oh, now, But it seems like something you. he would say. So you're <laughs> mad? You're- yeah, it's, it's- I didn't know you were such an Obama guy. I didn't know you were... I don't know if I'm, I'm a, such a... I voted for him. I don't know, but I don't know if I'm super Obama, but it's just... It's, you know, well, it's I just want to point something out to you. Vote doesn't mean open up the window and yell it out 3 o'clock in the morning, yell out the person's name. Oh. You actually had to go down... Fill out a ballot. Wait, seriously? What's a, yeah. what, what, what's, a ba- what's a ballot? Exactly. Oh, now I just feel fucking stupid. A ballot is something that uh, rock stars need to do when they want to slow it down a little bit and pull your girl a little closer to you. Oh, shit. So you're mad about pe- people saying fuck the president? Well, just not just people. Someone at this caucus meeting. I mean, mm-hmm. if, this, if this story would have came out for Bush, when Bush was in president, the Republicans would have fucking lost their shit. Right now, it's a, fuck, it's a headline on Drudge. And it's just ridiculous how the, how the, the Democrats just look so pussy. Every single day, it's like you think it's as bad as it could be. It no, just gets pussies. worse and worse and worse. They're fucking pussies. They're the biggest pussies I've ever seen in my life. It's so and disheartening. It really it for hurts. Some, don't, it hurts to be a Democrat. There's no doubt about it. But you have to remember what these people, their life is like. They, go, they lay back at night and go like this. How can I get the Republicans to like me? Oh. That's what it means to be a fucking Democrat in That's Washington today. terrible. What life. do I have to say? What do I have to do to get the Republicans to like me? Oh, why can't they just get balls? They don't, they don't, they have none. They have none. It really sucks. Um, I know you're excited. You're caught up in McCartney mania right now. Oh, fuck yeah. It's it's nuts. I, I, I try to get tickets in the lottery. The, a nice mass email went out. It's like, submit your name if you're an employee at SiriusXM and get some tickets for yourself. I didn't get chosen. Um, I got shut out like a dick. Someone wrote to me and went, hey, could you get Stalker Patty in? And I'm like... They, I don't even know about this thing, really, you know? It's kind of um, secretive. I saw uh, Bladder the other day, and I'm like, hey, you stoked for the Paul McCartney? He's like, I'm going to be working the whole time. I mean, I'll be there, but uh, this thing is, and I'm like, oh, I'm not trying to fucking act like you're going to enjoy yourself. Uh, God forbid um, that that you, you know. Go in and have fun at a Paul McCartney show. Uh-uh, no. <laughs> that sounds just fucking wild But and everybody crazy. is so... I mean, everybody here. And normally, it's a very weird thing because it's serious. I don't know why my uh, thing is shut today. I feel like I'm stuffed inside. Is there some reason I don't want to be seen? 
I suddenly, now I'm addicted to having a little window space. I have to do a thing because Fez doesn't like people to see us, but it gets like a coffin. So I try just to do it on my side. Um, but to get back to what I was actually saying, uh, people here, there's so many radio stations that you normally can't figure out what anyone is working on at any time. And if you talk to one of the bosses, they're literally going like this. I know what you mean. I want to get to it right now. I got thirty other stations. I'm, you know, so everyone's very <laughs> <Yeah>. busy. <laughs> but with this, I can honestly say, uh, if I was Paul McCartney's people, the full focus on this seems to be that this concert goes great and everybody's happy, and it goes off without a hitch. And Paul McCartney has fun, and yeah. his listeners have fun, and everything's just fun. Which you know had me thinking. I I guess he's the biggest rock star in the world still. I don't know if we have a bigger rock star. I mean, I mean with Michael Jackson dead, and is there? I don't know if we have too many bigger than life rock stars. Bono's coming up there. I I bring him up a lot, but I mean he's I mean he's not as big as fucking Paul. Then no way. But Bono, I, I think if you would say to Bono who's bigger, you or Paul McCartney, he'd say Paul McCartney. Yeah, but we have to because. And is. if you said to Paul McCartney who's bigger, you or, uh, and Bono, he'd say me. Fuck yeah, you should. Fuck I don't it. even think it would be, be close. Um, and then there's Mick and Keith. I mean, Keith, I think, is considered cooler, but I think Mick is bigger. Mick's a, a giant rock star, and if we were doing something with Mick, it would probably have the same kind of heat. But even in the 60s, who was a bigger rock star? Paul McCartney. Paul McCartney. You can't help <laughs> it. You can't, you can't help but that Beatle thing is still big. It's just gigantic. And I don't even know who's, uh, the last decade, who was the biggest rock star. Jesus Christ, that's that's tough. In the two I mean, thousands, it was hip hop. You probably have to say Jay Z. Yeah. was the biggest thing, but the biggest rock star, rock, rock, I dropped it in, rock and or roll. <laughs> I don't know if we have anyone that you could throw up into the Springsteen, Paul McCartney, Bono, maybe Eddie Vedder. I never got it better, but I, I know, know I know never, people. No, I know people not, love them. Yeah, it's not a personal thing. Yeah. We're not saying. These are the best. Yeah. These are the biggest. And I think Monday night, even though after all these years, you know, I still don't know if we have a bigger star than Paul McCartney. He's pretty goddamn gigantic. I mean, maybe the last decade, maybe Kings of Leon, they've come into their own in the last couple of years. I always thought it was Leon. Kings of Leon. I say Leon because I feel, I feel like it's French. Seriously, having said that. Could those guys walk down 6th Avenue? Yeah, I think they did a couple of months ago. Yeah, I mean, down. no one's going to stop them. <laughs> They're not going to draw a crowd. That's the weird thing. Like, Britney Spears would still probably draw a crowd if yeah. she walked down 6th yeah. Avenue. Mariah Carey would draw a crowd. But is there any rock stars that can stop traffic these days? Uh, I don't know if we have rock stars like that anymore. Uh, Andy, you're on the Run of Fest show. Hey, Roddy B. Yeah. Hey, I wanted to ask you, do you know if there was any outrageous uh, demands for Paul McCartney as far as the rider and what they have to drink and what they require to eat? Uh, was there anything that was a little bit over the top? Um, say that. Uh, I, no, I haven't, I haven't heard anything other than everybody is just totally excited about it. Uh, and as a matter of fact, to be totally honest, I've never heard of Paul McCartney having any kind of uh, diva personality. No, he always seemed super cool. And I don't know if this this may come up in the unmasked that I do with Eddie Brill later because we talked about 
I don't remember if we did it on the Unmastered or in the backstage, about when Paul McCartney Paul, went played. and played on the uh, marquee of the Letterman show, which was, I guess, not last summer, but the summer before. Yeah, it sounds. It was right after we got here. Um, and we all went up there. And there was, I don't know, 100,000 people Ugh. that had just jammed Broadway just to see this. And uh, Eddie was mentioning um, that he was, you know, up in the fucking, you know, up on the marquee itself. Uh, Lonnie, you're on running Fez. Hey, I know this would make Jimmy Norton happy, but if Ozzy walks down the street, he's definitely going to draw a crowd. No doubt about it. Um, Ozzy is definitely the biggest heavy metal star uh, that ever lived. The only thing about that kind of music is that it doesn't draw in little kids and no. grandmothers, you know. Yeah. I mean, he is a gigantic star specific so, this was a, to yeah, one demographic. Niche fan base. Now, having said that, his TV show pretty much made everyone know who he was, but it doesn't have that... You know, there was even a thing with Michael Jackson at his height that little kids, grandmothers... You know, everybody kind of yeah. at least knew who he was. Um, well, the, well, now I guess Billy Joe Armstrong. I mean, that's pretty fucking gigantic. When he well, came up here, people were fucking freaking out. Billy Joe Green Day yeah. uh, from Green Day, yeah, uh, is certainly gigantic. Um, I know everybody is a buzz because he's going to go in and do that Broadway thing, yeah, American Idiot again, um, and it's very weird, like. The weirdest thing about Green Day is so many little tiny kids yeah. love Green Day. Yeah, it's just simple songs that are just I, catchy as fuck. I have a nephew. He's in kindergarten. He's learning to play the guitar because of Green Day. That's fucking great. Le you know, loves Green Day. Yeah. Brings up Green Day all the time. Sings <laughs> about Green Day. Uh, they had to, He had to write something for school. It was about Green Day. All right, cool. And he, he sat there trying to think of a song that didn't have a curse word in it. That couldn't get him in trouble. He's fucking crazy about him. Um, let's go over here to Mike in Cleveland. You're on a face. Hey, Ronnie, how you doing? Yeah, yeah. It's uh, he's going to beat Dave Grohl over the past ten years. Uh, he's respected, and you know everyone loves the guy. Plus, came out from Nirvana. Can't beat it. Dave Grohl is. I mean, the one thing that he's got somewhat going against him is he wasn't a front man the entire time. Yeah. Of his career, he's certainly one of the fucking cooler people that is having a ball oh, hell in yeah. the music. It's well, like fucking ten different bands or something. It's, yeah, he just has his hand in so many different things. He says so current, it's crazy. And the fact that he can really fucking play too. Yeah. I mean, like uh, drummers uh, are fucking crazy about him as well. But I don't know if he's that frontman big thing. You know what I mean? Like no. he's almost more of a musician, a writer. Yeah. He's um the people who like music. He's huge, but not to fucking the masses or whatever. They might know. They might know who. Yeah, he is. they they probably know who uh, obviously the bands are. Yeah. Um, but I don't know if they sit around at night going, thinking <laughs> about him right now, like they do with <laughs> like the fucking weird spring. You know, I mean this fucking insanity of Roland seeing Springsteen two hundred fifty two times. Yeah. And like, when Springsteen came here, and they were like, Roland's like, I want to meet Springsteen. And they're going, why? You know, the bosses and all. And he goes, well, I went to his concert 252 times. That made them say, no. Because <laughs> now you're coming off like Mark David Chapman. You yeah. know what I mean? Uh -huh. And it's almost scary to say, I follow you wherever you go like a crazy stalker. Like, Roland, it seems like if, if he met Springsteen, 
he would say this, don't worry, I'm not going to kill you. That would be like, he would have to somehow convince Springsteen that I'm, I'm, I'm not that weird. Um, Michelle, you're on my face. Oh, greetings from snowy West Virginia, gentlemen. Oh, hi. Uh, Apparently, um, Paul McCartney may not be a diva, but his security people are. He was here for the Kennedy Center Honors last week, and the security guys were actually confiscating cameras and cell phones and erasing all the pictures. I don't blame them, though. I, do, I, I, I brought this up the other day. I was at a show. The number of cell phones, and they, and they actually went around and telling them not to do it. But you have to remember, these people do sell their live performances. You know, yeah. that is something that you want to have some kind of content over that. I love that they just started banning them outright, uh, cell phones outright. Because if you, I was up high at a concert, looked down to a pit, all you see are fucking just everyone has a goddamn cell phone. Yeah. It was yeah. really, really embarrassing. Can't go out there, man. Um, I told you it was still fucking. Hey, you're on running fast. <laughs> Who is? I guess you Ron. are, Dave. Oh, sorry, man. Yeah, sorry. Uh, Ron says, how's it going? Good. Chris, uh, what about hey. uh, Cornell? Chris Cornell? You know what I mean? As far as, like, just front people for bands? You know what uh, I mean? Chris Cornell, always well-respected, always well-liked. Women love him. Women dig him, but, again, it's a certain demographic. It's not yeah. that mass pop no. thing, you know? I mean, his time was the 90s, and he fucking blew it up, and it was fucking awesome. And people still love him, but like, he's it, it, not getting any new fans. Right, but he still goes out and he does try his interesting things. Yeah. And, you know, he's a he's a, certainly an interesting fucking uh, person to yeah. follow. But um, here's uh, Rob. Rob, you're in my face. Daltrey and Towns, and they still got the juice. Uh, oddly, Pete Townsend probably over Roger Daltrey. Roger Daltrey yeah. didn't get a lot of respect in his own band. And Pete Townsend, no doubt he's a legend, but, you know, he got involved in the one yeah. thing. Like, now, you bring it up, people bring that up yeah, to you. Yeah, immediately. You know, and you're like, seriously, kids. is this all we're fucking talking about now? Quadrophenia. Didn't they fucking find him innocent? Didn't that whole thing? <laughs> Let's research, people. Come on, give him a fucking break. Um... Richard, you're on Run Fez. Hey, I'm going to have to say uh, Gene Simmons. He's known for the makeup. He's known for the tongue. He's in a Dr. Pepper commercial. He's got his own reality show. It's got to be Gene Simmons. Well, Gene Simmons is definitely well-known, uh, but almost like in a Kim Kardashian thing. Yeah. Yeah, he's just a fucking... He's not, he's not known for his music anymore. He's just known I as mean, a businessman. Even most people... All right, I'll, I'll go to you, Hicks. How many Kiss songs do you think you know the title? Because I think most people are going to go under six. Yeah, I could maybe maybe do five. All right, go ahead. Uh, rock and Roll All Night, Beth. Uh, Those two made fucking uh, Top 40 uh, Radio. Uh, Detroit Rock City. Okay, that was a movie named after that. <laughs> That's right. Uh, Destroyer. Okay. Fuck. And then people start to run into trouble. I was trying to think of the song from Bill and Ted. Oh, see, that's the thing. It's always the outside <laughs> stuff. Um, Tony, you're on Memphis. Tony. Yeah. What about Neil Young, Ron? Neil Young. It's a, a it's certainly the, one of the more respected people ever in the history of rock. Whew. Hmm. I think he's kind of reclusive. He is. And that's what, that hurts him. 
you not know, a bad way, but just you know, just for people freaking out over. But it. this had me thinking. Let's suppose he called Sirius and said, "I want the Paul McCartney deal. Give me the Paul McCartney deal." You think he could get it? I think he. I think. I think they they'd fucking put something together for him. Yeah, because it's fucking the guy comes out of nowhere and says, "Yeah, let's do something." Yeah, it's a very weird thing that at one point Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young was the biggest band in the world. Yeah. They did a tour of like racetracks. They were fucking <laughs> selling crazy. out racetracks. <laughs> and then, you know, it just, I don't know whether that, that wave kind of broke. And now you, <laughs> Neil doesn't always perform with him, but even when he does, you could probably end up seeing him in the theater. Yeah, that's fucking weird. Where it wasn't that long ago that uh, McCartney was doing stadium. Oh, he just played Shea Stadium. Yeah. yeah, he just did Shea. I mean, he still played stadiums. Yeah, that's fucking nuts. And you know, With no problems. They made out. a big thing where Jay Z and Eminem played yeah, the stadium. Yankees, yeah, Paul McCartney didn't need fucking Eminem <laughs> to come over and help out. <laughs> well, can we get Eminem? Um, John, you're on the Run Fez show. Yeah, uh, not so much here in the states, but in Europe, the Gallagher brothers from Oasis are. Yeah, but guess what? Huge. Guess what? Look around here. We're not Europe. I mean, Robbie Williams yeah, sells out stadiums over there. Just Mooch? I, I, I yeah, totally agree. Mooch is but, calling uh, in with that Irish fucking Gallagher brothers. <laughs> now, I like them more than you. You despise them, right? Oasis? Yeah. yeah, no thanks. No thanks. I'm more of a blur man in that fucking, uh, that war that happened in 93. Right. <laughs> the new Brit Rock, Brit Rock War. Give well, me blur. you know, I actually sided with Oasis, but now since the gorillas, I moved over. <laughs> The Gorillas are fucking great. I fucking love them. I love that fucking band. It's fantastic. Damon Alburn's a fucking genius. He is. He's a genius. But he lets cartoon animals fucking... And it lasts three albums, and it's just gotten bigger and bigger. It's fucking crazy. I saw that thing in, uh... Where they had a hologram plan. Oh, yeah. That's fucking... I was just crazy. Yeah, the holograms of the, the cartoon characters. Uh, That's unbelievable. Like, you could just send the fucking... CD out on the road with a hologram crew, <laughs> and you stay home and wait for your fucking checks to be, uh... It's fucking crazy. Fucking PayPal to you. Like, <laughs> PayPal that shit. You guys got the DVD, right? So, yeah, that's it. That's all I gotta do. Ben, you're on Ronnie Fez. Uh, Ronnie B, two points. Tom Petty, huge. Spanish generation. Can't stop writing hits. Write them in every decade. Number two, going back to you. Ichiban, any grown man that thinks Prince can't play the guitar... Needs to be punched. Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, While My Guitar Gently Weeps, the great, one of the top five guitar solos ever. Check it out on YouTube. Right, I'm going to check that out right now. Um, no, I'm not going to check that right now. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Prince, Tom Petty. First of all, you don't have to fucking sell either one of them to us. No. But we're talking, the are they the biggest rock stars in the world? They're certainly there in the top 1%. I think Prince over Tom Petty. Because, I mean, Prince is just, I think, maybe stayed in the news more for being... Uh, maybe yeah, Tom Petty's crazy. such a regular guy. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, who Tom Petty's dating has never fucking popped up. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, when, when Prince would do shit, you know. Yeah. Did you see when Prince, when he won, uh, the fucking thing went viral when he went on The View the other day? Oh, yeah, and those broads lost their shit. And then one of his gloves. <laughs> it's just a fucking masturbate, too. Creepy. Uh, who's playing with him at Madison Square Garden? He says he's going to be special guest. I'm not sure. I'm not sure who the special guest is. Um, Chris, you're in Fez. Hey guys, how's it going? Good. 
good bring up Elton John, not my style, but everybody seems to love him. Yeah, they do. I think if there was one thing that Elton John, it might have been better for him if he toured less. You know what I mean? Yeah. But now that he's done, you know, that he's an older guy and he's done something like 90 tours. Jesus Christ. You know what I mean? Like, you could almost, you could have probably seen him once a year for the past 30, 40 years. That's awesome. You can start and burn it out a little bit. Yeah. But just great, just great for him to be the dedication to the road and getting out there. But ex- exactly, yeah. I mean, he'll, when they're always there, you're just like, all right, he'll, they'll never be gone. Then you so start whatever. to become friends with the person. You're just like, <laughs> like if you were in a movie with Marlon Brando, at first you'd be intimidated. And after a while, you're like, you know, Marlon Brando's starting to get on my nerves a little I mean, bit. Jesus Christ, man. You know, you got to leave a little mystery to it. Oh, definitely, without a doubt. That's the thing you got going for you, Hicks. I try to be mysterious. Maybe I, I don't live in a story. Who knows? Yeah, we don't know anything about you, really. Why won't he fix his window? He sleeps on a couch? What's wrong with that bed? Don't worry about what's wrong with that bed. That makes me even more interested. Thank you. Um, Jason, you're on Fest. Let's go over to Bob. Then, Bob, you're on the Run of Fest show. Hey, uh, one, one guy that's got me uh, mixed up is why Dave Matthews sells out so many crowds. Uh, the people that love him, love him. It's like fish. And, yeah, and they will follow him anywhere. And I've been told time and time again, like with fish, <laughs> you got to be there before you can judge. You cannot judge off an album. You got to be there. Yeah, the live shows are. Well, I, I've never been to a live fucking Dave Matthews show, but, but you know what? You, yeah, I know the fish guy. Yeah, yeah, the fish, the live fish shows are what you got to go to. Those fucking live shows are nuts. They're amazing. And yet. Most people go, really, fish? Fuck that. Hippie garbage. Well, the thing is, is like, there is a thing where, and it happened with the dead, that people can be turned, and I think it happened with Dave Matthews, yeah. where people like were turned off by the people who liked them. Oh, yeah. Oh, without you a doubt, know? yeah. Fuck those hippie dicks. Fuck them. You know, at and a certain it, yeah, point, Dave Matthews, frat boys. At a certain point that they don't let new people in. Yeah. You know? Uh-huh. Because I remember dead shows, when they were yelling at people for like, not knowing the etiquette, the how to oh, yeah. fuck it. Oh, you know? oh, yeah, without a doubt. And I'm like, uh, you know, let these, stop treating these people like they're outsiders. I'm sorry the fucking guy is a crook up, but he wants to come to the show. <laughs> you can't enjoy it. Yeah, they'll look down on you if you haven't been to enough shows. So I was talking to some guy at a fish show. He's like, how many shows have you been to? I'm like, 10. He's like, oh, he stopped talking to me. He just they started walking away. We're having a great conversation about God knows what. Right. He just, he just snubs me and blows me off because I'm not a fucking deep enough fan. Fuck him. Are you Frick. sure that maybe you're not gay? Because why would anyone care? I was just pissed. I, it was just very strange. I think he might have had a joint, too, that I was fucking char- he was fucking handing off to me. But Oh, by the way, uh, here's who I'm now hearing, thanks to our tweets. What's that? That, uh, may, that is going to be one of the special guests, Janelle Monet. Oh, wow. That's going to be fucking fantastic. Um, Jack, you're on Run of Fez. Right. Yeah. I think uh, David Bowie, he's definitely on the level of McCartney. Well, he's never had this kind of success that McCartney had. I mean, in the 70s, yeah. Bowie wasn't a fucking mainstream artist. In the 80s, he was. He had bigger hits, but he but, was yeah. still coming out of his weird period and very <laughs> aloof. Then the 90s, he did great work. But I will say, and, and this decade too, but I will say this, if... If anyone could come in the studio, 
It'd be fucking. It would be Bowie. Oh God, that would be fucking mind blowing. If fucking David Bowie walked in through here. The I man who sold the world. <laughs> Lansane. The thin white duke. Ziggy Stardust. Oh. You saw him on extras when he was on extras. Oh, hold on, Halloween Jack. Did I see him on extras? It was like my fucking favorite. And that's like when I did the uh, run-in on Gervais. Yeah. It's all I wanted to talk to him about. <laughs> and I kept bugging about him off. And like the thing is, Gervais loves Bowie. Yeah. Fucking loves him. Yeah, so I watched so like the extra commentary or whatever, and he was talking about Bowie. It was like, this, it was amazing. I couldn't believe Bowie was walking in there. Um, and like uh, to me that he had Bowie on his show and then singing a fucking song to <laughs> to, uh, to Gervais's lyrics. I don't know if I told you this, but uh, Gervais was saying that, you know, he called Bowie up and um, said, I want you to, you know, do the show. And Bowie's like, great, that would be great. I'd like to do it. And he goes, I want you to do a song, like write a song. And Bowie's like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> and he goes, you know, I want it to kind of be sweet, but then, the, you know, the... These lyrics are going to be cutting. He goes, I really want it like a life and life on Mars. And like uh, Bowie's like, yeah, I'll just write your life on Mars. That's <laughs> that's real fucking easy. So I'll just I'll just get on. I'll get to work on that. Thanks for and the direction. I, seriously, when I when I fucking and I made him fucking retell me that when we were fucking hanging out outside of O and A today uh, that day. Uh, by the way, O and A getting fucking carried today was fucking cool as shit. That was awesome. That Carrie Fisher is the fucking the bomb. Uh, and when is this HBO thing? Uh, this weekend, I believe. The uh... I, I get. I definitely gotta lock that in because I wanted to see her when she was on Broadway. She is an amazing storyteller, uh, and a really fucking good writer. Like when she writes shit. But also, here's the weirdest thing about her. Paul Simon has written a bunch of songs about her. That's Graceland, basically, right? Graceland's her. about her. Uh, <laughs> Hearts, crazy. And, Hearts and Bones is about her, which is one of the all-time greatest breakup fucking songs. Um, but then there's a couple more that aren't as famous. <laughs> so, like, she's taken, you know, one of the greatest songwriters in history, and he's, like, basically written songs about how she completely fucking pisses him off Christ and fucks so with his head. <laughs> That's fucking nuts. You know, that's Gary fucking Fisher. amazing. She's the best. That is awesome. And every day of her life, somebody wants to bring up Star Wars. Oh, yeah. Nonstop. You still have the bikini? She's enough. You know, that was so long ago. I, I, It's got to be so tough for people. Like, I'm sure that there are just tons of people in the world that have to talk about something from 30 years ago. Oh, nonstop. You know, whether it's a movie, whether it was a sports team. You know, somebody's constantly saying, do you remember the Super Bowl in 83? Yeah, I do remember. We were a pretty good team. We were the Bears. Yeah, but, yeah, you won, though. You still hate Dick, yeah? You ever talk to Jim McMahon anymore and just, you know, throw the ball around? Can you see the ring? Oh, God, they all have to show the fucking ring. <laughs> oh, I wanted to laugh at Fez Watley because uh, the Colts last night had a big fucking win. Oh, yeah. And Manning had completely changed his style because of how bad the team is. He's yeah. rolling out. He was <laughs> yeah. amazing. All right, we need to break here, you said. Yeah, we got a break. Uh, we got Wavy Gravy coming up. Also, uh, in a little bit, we'll be playing uh, Search, Search, Hurry Up and Search. And then at 2 o'clock, 
It's Unmasked with Eddie Brill. Ron and Fez Show. The Ron and Fez Show. The virus on Sirius XM. I just got this email. You were invited to a rockahula luau by Happy Typing Girl and Bigfoot. Party. Tea party. Tea party. Animal game. Animal game. Puppet show. Puppet show. Puppet show. Puppet show. Later we'll have pixie sticks. Mmm, they're so delicious. Later we'll have crumbly difficult to understand exactly the nature of a rockahula luau, for it harnesses the power of all the available styles of party and compresses them into one great exotic extravaganza. Tea parties, animal games, puppet shows, pixie sticks, crumpets, and obviously and of course it goes without saying, there will be bowling. We're gonna bowl! There's Sleeves, and you can pick up his new album, which is kind of a best of and more. 202 Friends has a link, but also you could head over to his site. It's RadioGhost.com. Pick up tourniquets and windmills. Now, what does he mean by Radio Goat? Radio Ghost. Oh, Ghost. That is scary. All right, 866-RON-ZERO-FEZ, 866-RON-ZERO-FEZ. Having somewhat of a rough day today, Fezzy? A little bit of a rough one, yes. Why don't you just get some rest? Well, you have a salami sandwich oh. and uh, just uh, kick back today. Uh, I thought this was kind of interesting. The Baltimore Ravens coach uh, is, what is it, John Harbaugh? Is that who the coach is now? I don't yeah, it's remember. Harbaugh. Harbaugh. Uh, lashed out at the fans who complained and expressed anger over the 13-10 loss to the Pittsburgh Steelers. Uh, Fez, you were impressed with that. Win, but I thought that the that uh, the Ravens gave it away there at the end. I thought the Steelers had nothing on night. See, I just thought they like outlasted them and were a you know and Ben. Well, Rock- they, they it wasn't even so much that they outlasted them. They didn't score till the end of the game, and basically on a turnover. When they should have been rolling out the clock. They should have been just running the clock down. Did you watch the game, Hicks? Yeah, I saw that. Yeah, I was watching very closely. I have Ray Rice on my fantasy team. So, if anything, if I was a fan of the Ravens, and I'm not, um, I would have been more mad at the coach than everybody else. The yeah. Ravens' defense was amazing. That no, game. yeah, it fucking it ran them. It, it made them look like shit. The Steelers looked really bad that game. Yeah, they stopped the running game. They stopped the passing yeah. game. They broke uh, Roethlisberger's nose. They did, yeah, and, and we're knocking <laughs> all kinds of Steelers out. But at the same time, uh, it was a bad play call. You know, yeah. there's just not a lot you could do about it. And honestly, if that thing goes to the first down, then you're a hero, and everybody likes you, yeah. and how ballsy. <laughs> but if it doesn't work, you're going to take some shit for it. That's fucking what happens. You just, 
Don't lash out the fans. You fucked up. But the fans are incredibly stupid. Oh. That's part of the problem. I mean, you go back and forth, and I get really distressed when I see how many people leave a game even when their team is winning. That's retarded. And I will give this to the New England fans. You stayed during the massacre on the Jets. <laughs> that was great. That you didn't say to yourself, fuck it. But I'm looking at a lot of these games, and sometimes they'll be 21-13, and the team that's winning... Their fans will go, well, this game is over, and they'll leave, That's not thinking we've got to keep this going for next week. No, they don't care. These fans don't care. I mean, I know the Super Bowl is not filled with fans, but is it maybe going down to regular games now? Yeah, it's corporate with- tickets. Ugh. Regular ke- people couldn't afford to go to the Giants game. That's depressing. Um, and the parking concern is as, much, is as big in their heads as the game of getting out of the parking lot. But again, that is the price that you pay for going to a live event of any kind. I don't like to see it at a concert. Oh, hell no. I don't like to be the the concert people that are like, I'm going to get out of here while everybody else is enjoying the show. You can't turn around and say that you are a a big fucking fan. If if you're worried about parking, stay home. Stay the fuck home. I don't want to get stuck in traffic. Um, Brandon. Brandon, Tampa. Hey, buddy. Uh, Ronnie B, I wanted to ask you, this week, uh, Kansas City, their quarterback, Matt Castle, got an appendectomy, and he's questionable whether to play against Baltimore. Uh, you just had that. You got rid of that lousy thing. You think he's going to be able to go? No. I mean, I guess they could shoot him up that day yeah. you know, and numb it, but I, I sure as hell would say, if anything, running game. Yeah, I don't see him fucking starting. Fuck that. You know, it, it, it's just because he had the muscle cut into him. Oh, now, Jesus I guess you Christ. can numb it up and go. A lot of these guys play with um, people that, you know, like they can't feel their leg or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> but still, I don't like to bet on those guys. I guess you can numb anything down. That's where Antonio Gates is right now. Both his legs are fucking shot. He's getting pumped full of fucking drugs. Hey, you got, uh, got anything? No, your chick is Jewish. Do you do anything for Christmas or you don't? Uh, no. No, I mean, I, I don't, I'm not a big fan of the holidays. You don't general. like it? No, I'm, I'm not a big fan. It's... So if it was a choice between hate Christmas and love Christmas, where are you? Oh, hate Christmas. Fuck it. It's not what it was. It was it's just a commercial. It's just, it's just a reason to fucking spend money. Is that Look you? at Black Friday. Hold on. Is that you, Charlie Brown? <laughs> Am I looking at Charlie Brown over here? Is that where you got that from? Hate Christmas. That's the funny thing. Charlie Brown was talking to that shit like 65, 66. Jesus Christ. He had no idea. <laughs> he had no fucking idea how bad it was going to get. But I think in between uh, hate and love, I'm just a little more apathetic now. I just, really? I, I used to hate for a while mm-hmm. because of the present stuff, but the internet has made that so much simpler, hasn't it? So I don't get caught up in crowds uh, and all that. But when I see what goes on with the stores and the frenzy that takes place, oh, it's, it's disturbing. Um, it is a little uh, odd. Uh, Jim, you're on Fez. Hey, Ronnie, do you think uh, Matt Castle had real friends that may have uh, visited him during his um, horrific surgery? I hope there was somebody to show up with a Sports Illustrated for him, because that's what you do for a buddy. You bring in a Sports Illustrated. He needs it. Uh, or you just, you know, search the Internet. Joe, you're on the Ronnie Fez show. Hey, Ronnie, you know how you're talking about how the uh, Pats fans stayed all the way to the end in the Jets game? Yeah. The, the fans uh, who usually go to those games are kind of known around here. It's an open secret that they're kind of a richer crowd. And right. 
they don't make much noise, and they're always telling people to sit down in front of them if they're standing on third down and stuff like that. Early in the season, Tom Brady called out the fans, which is uh, it was a ballsy thing to do. He said the Jets fans would never leave like the Patriots fans do early. And ever since then, the Pats fans have been a force. So it took Tom Brady to call him out to get that going. I think Tom Brady has shown a whole different side of himself this year, where he used to be like Joe Cool, and now he's like, all right, if no one else is going to fire these people up, I will. He's just taking it on himself. Fuck it. But it Looks is... Like a field general. It is fucking amazing to me that he has to tell people, professionals, guess what? Show up ready to play the game. Guess what? Be passionate. Guess what? Care. But since he has, I'm saying it. Yeah. People were writing the Patriots off in the beginning of the fucking oh, yeah. season. Before, yeah, before the season even started, like, oh, they're not doing anything this year. It's a rebuilding year. And when they got rid of Moss, well, that's the end of that, you know? <laughs> Believe me, I started fucking picking against him. I made a mistake. <laughs> I made a mistake. By the way, in our uh, Pick'em League, yeah. Nico, 17th. What the He's fuck? He's in 17th fucking place. Who knew Nico got the hot hand on the picks? We ought to fucking take that idiot to goddamn uh, Vegas with us. Hell yeah. Let's Get you it. to dress like I'm on Rain Man, that fucking situation. Sounds good out. to me. Rain man it the fuck up. Let's make some money for ourselves. Uh, Kyle, you're on the run of show. Hey, what's going on, guys? Uh, dude, I'm going to play through an injury. Uh, they get the stuff. I used to get lidocaine shots. I had a uh, broken bone in my foot, and I used to race professional motocross, and I could get through a whole race and not even feel a thing. End of the day, it hurts like hell, but, you know, you can literally stand on a broken leg on that stuff. But is it just numb? Yeah, it's, pre it's pretty numb. It's basically a, a hopped-up Novocaine. Um, cool. All right, I'm gonna. I, I, see, I hate that feeling of dead leg. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't like the I can't feel myself and I'm just dragging my leg around with me. But, like, even if you. Uh, even if you fucking do that, uh, you're still destroying your leg. Oh, yeah, you yeah. You just, you just don't feel it. You just it's don't crazy. know it at that time. <laughs> Later, you feel it. Because you can't live your whole life on that. Justin, you're on the Run of Fez show. Hey, Ronnie, two quick points. First off is I don't understand why is Tom Brady calling out the fans a ballsy thing to do. Like, I think it's okay that he did it, but I don't think there's any real risk involved with that. And second off, if you're a fan, who cares if the coach calls out the fans? Like, I'm an Oakland Raider fan. If the Oakland coach says every Oakland fan's a dumb motherfucker, I would give it exactly two seconds thought. Like, who gives a shit? Well, again, it's because you're... It isn't, you're probably not caught up in, now he just disappears while I'm having a conversation with him. Come um on, man. But you're not one of those people probably who can be easily swayed. You know what I mean? Like, for some reason, and this always makes me laugh really fucking hard, people hate LeBron even when they didn't grow up in Cleveland. <laughs> like, I totally get the Cleveland fucking people, like, I hate LeBron, mm -hmm. but I don't have a problem you know, and I don't normally even get caught up with that. I know a lot of people, after all all these years, started getting mad at Jeter over his contract. That's stuff. insane that they're getting mad at Jeter. Now that's Jeter's business. This is how he earns his living. <laughs> you know, like, do you know how many people would take that position? Yeah, but how many people would have gotten you as many fucking rings as Jeter did and stayed there for his entire fucking career?
and wanted to stay there for his entire fucking career. I know. People are bringing up the uh, shit about Brett Favre and, you know, is he going to make the 300 games at all? As if, by the way, anyone ever cared about this. <laughs> How many, you know, it was never made up. Let's get but to that zero I don't number. think it will ever be a big deal to people because Cal Ripken did it in one town. Yeah. Now, to go back to that, does everybody kind of like Cal Ripken? Yeah. yeah. Do you like him closer than what the people in Baltimore do? Like when people say, Cal Ripken is a god, I'm like, oh, where are you from, Maryland? Because that's how it should be. You know what I mean? Yeah. That should be the thing. This thing of about the fact that Favre is everyone's favorite or whatever, I don't, um, I don't think that's true. But I think if he would have stayed that long, if he would have retired in Green Bay, there would be a lot more chance uh, for that. Here's Scott, Wyoming. You're a manifest. Uh, yes, sir. I am a season ticket holder for the Broncos, and I live up in Wyoming. And I sit through every shitty moment of those games until the last second. Now, do, do the other Bronco fans join in with you, or are you on your own out there? You know, they used to. It takes me 18 hours round trip to get to these games and back home. And uh, they used to stay to the end, whether they're winning or losing, but they just kind of become all like every other fan, just kind of puts Now, how and... uh, do you stay overnight in Denver, or you just drive back and forth? No, we, I live up in Casper. It's about four hours north. I know Casper. So we just drive down there, do the game, and come back. But it's 18 hours by the time you get in the game, and not to mention the cost. I mean, you know, I just I don't understand it. These people are paying top dollar to go to these damn games. Well, because a end. lot of them aren't paying the money. They're getting it from their corporate fucking sponsors. You know, they're Coca-Cola and Budweiser people and who's ever tied in with AT&T or whatever those, you know, Big companies are attached to this. But uh, right. I was very surprised when I, because I had no idea of it till I was driving out west for a while. You can be far away from Denver and go in and there's pictures of Elway. I mean, Damn. yeah, you can be in North Dakota, South Dakota, Wyoming. What? Yeah, all over the fucking, they don't have anybody close. Okay. They don't <laughs> have anyone close and that, you know, whatever gets local TV, you know, that's why the Braves were way bigger. In the South, because there was for years they were, they were it, right? only one team. So if you grew up in Mississippi, Louisiana, fucking Alabama, Florida, yeah. you were a Braves fan. Now, the point is, it never dawned on any of those people to go to a game. <laughs> the watch, you know, Atlanta used to draw like, you know, Miami does now. Ugh. It's just never been a, a big baseball uh, town. Um well, 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 it's the blowhard. Hello, blowhard. First of all, let me just give a little congratulations to the Fort Hamilton High School Tigers of Bay Ridge, Brooklyn, who are the new New York City high school champions, defeating Lincoln High School of Coney Island the other night at Yankee Stadium under the lights. No. So congratulations to the Fort Hamilton Tigers. Now, is that all All the boroughs are involved yep, in that? the SAL championship. It was, a, it was a Brooklyn affair, and we defeated... Lincoln High School, which is based in Coney Island, and uh, Fort Hamilton is a force to be reckoned with, and it's the... Well, sure, there's been a lot of great football players that have come out of Brooklyn. Oh, tons, and it's just the beginning. Just wait and see. All right, blowhard. Just wait and see. Um, I was just going to call up and say, everybody bitches and moans about athletes and their salaries, and yet, does anybody ever get mad when Tom... Um, Cruz gets $20 million for a movie. or I mean, it's just so hypocritical. 
when you have these guys who say, why doesn't Gita settle for that money? In this economy, I can, I'll, I'll go play for free. Well, I, but yet, I think the difference is, theater, is like not a lot of people care who gets what role. You know, like they're not yeah. going like, oh, I really need Tom Cruise to play in, in this movie. But in the fact of Jeter, a lot of people go to bed at night going, is my baseball team uh, staying together? Yeah, and the bottom line is people just don't look at sports as entertainment. They'll go to a movie and you'll see a talk show host or even an idiot newscaster reading a teleprompter making multi-million dollar salaries, and yet they look at A-Rod, and one of the first reasons they hate A-Rod is because of the money. Sure, the guy's an arrogant ass, we know that, but the first thing they bring up, oh man, they pay this guy $25 million, but they don't do it for anything else. It's, it's just so ridiculous because it's entertainment, and it's not life and death. That's why I love the days when you had characters in the game and you had wacky players and you didn't have these dullards and post-game interviews just giving standard answers. You don't see that much in sports anymore. You don't have the wacky characters. And if you get a nut like a T.O. or Ocho Cinco uh, twittering something stupid, these guys get chastised when, in fact, you look at sports and we grew up, there was always kooks. I mean, where are the Dennis Rodmans nowadays, you know, the crazy guys, the, the lunatics, even the Jim McMahons to an extent, who basically was well, a Well, they a get nut. beat down by ESPN. I know, ESPN, and it's a shame the because The same people who keeps... shows them then spends the next eight fucking hours talking about how horrible they are and how they've ruined the game. And they will get so angry with someone who says, I think we can win this. And they're like, what a slap in the face this is. Yeah, like the, other team. the arrogance. And they, but you see, that's entertainment. And that always made it great. And that's why a lot of Yankee fans don't like, especially my generation, don't like Reggie Jackson because he was such a hot dog. But i got to be honest, Reggie Jackson was fun to watch. And whenever Reggie was up, you always stopped to watch the at-bat. Same with guys like Richie Allen back on your Philly team and later on with the White Sox. These certain guys, you stop and you watch them because they're just amazing. And off the I don't field, know. Brad says he disagrees with you. I'm going to put him on Blowhard. Go ahead, Brad. How you doing, buddies? I mean, I kind of disagree with Blowhard there because you don't want Mickey Rooney in the Magnificent Seven. You don't want Caliendo doing a role that Robert Redford or Brad Pitt should be in. So the movie industry has to look at that. Who do they put into that movie? Yeah, but they take care of that themselves. The fans don't normally get too fired up. Maybe if there's some big thing that people know, like, oh, we've read the Twilight series, so this person would be good or that person would be awful, or the comic book fans tend to pop on who gets the... And, you know, it's about public demand. don't hear about the The movie until after it's made. The Yankees aren't going to pay a guy batting 220 A-Rod money. It's all about demand. And people want to, and, and Jeter, for example, is the Yankee brand. Not only is he, you know, a good player, but the merchandise, he's the face of he's the He's the franchise. face of the Yankees. There's no exactly. doubt about it. And, that, and, and the funny the thing is, the Yankees gave him that face. The Yankees said, we want you to carry the Yankee banner. And he carries himself. He's Teflon. Oh, his whole Yankee but career, there's no scandal. He, see, here's one of the things that happens that's my big trouble with football. And I have people trying to tell me that somehow Peyton Manning is no longer a ball player. But see, here's what happened. Peyton got as much money as he could. But because of that and the salary cap, he now long, no longer can be surrounded by people <laughs> who can protect him and fucking catch the ball. Yeah. 
So and just I think in by, Peyton Manning's case, it's also a case of overexposure. I think with all the ads he does and no, all, but let's just go into where he is as a player, not any of that other stuff. Because he got the twenty-seven million or whatever, it kind of hurts him on the field. Yeah, it just seems that we have this resentment, and people even this year were so quick to bury Peyton Manning. Peyton Manning is probably the greatest quarterback of our generation. Well, Fez was just uh, burying him the other day, and I'm yeah. like, you're not, you're not watching these games at all. You're not seeing what he's going through. You're just seeing the final score. And when I saw him just like ch changing last night, the way he plays, he's rolling out. And let me say this: I've never been a big fan of him as a player because I feel like I'm watching somebody from Nixon's White House. <laughs> and he makes me nervous with all those checkoffs and all the change signal calling. He that you know, he just makes me. It's just neurotic watching him, but. Again, you know, these guys are a rarity, him and a Tom Brady, and these are the quarterbacks of our generation. Now, we're going to look back and say, wow, was he great or what? And I don't care about this whole thing, well, how many rings does he have? Ted Williams never won a World Series. Are we going to, like, besmirch his uh, talent and his contributions a to Fez baseball? isn't here right now, or I'd let him defend himself with that. That whole rings thing is nonsense. I, right. you know, if, I mean, here's Marino's one people, of the best quarterbacks. Uh, and here's some other people uh, want to disagree with you a little bit, Blowhard. Uh, Andrew, Hartsville, you're on a fuzz. Hey, Don. Uh, just quickly, you know, he says that we don't ask how much Tom Cruise makes or anything, but we would if we had to pay $75 to go see his movie. You know, baseball tickets being what they are, that's why everybody's concerned about how much. Well, I think the price of a movie ticket, if you look over the last 20 to 30 years, has gone up immensely, I mean, percentage-wise. Um, when I was a teenager, I remember paying $3 to go in for adults. What is it, 12 now? Is it like 12? So, 50 yeah. And go to the <laughs> movie theater. And what do you pay the concession bucks. stand? Besides the admission that, ticket, the admission and the concession stand, you're getting, you're getting fleeced by the movie theater also. Well, again, they're not, they claim that the movie theater doesn't make any money on anything but popcorn. Right. And I find that hard to believe because yeah. I don't think they're open enough. I mean, if you had a popcorn store, it wouldn't be that fucking large, <laughs> you know? And on top of that, now you're getting commercials during the movies. I never thought, you know, but, I, I'm going to go to the movies. I want to leave home. I don't want to see But you know what? Remind me of this because I, I, I had this thought the other day. I don't think I've even seen a snow cap outside of a movie theater. Oh, wow. And they still sell it there. That's you know what I mean? Bizarre. But it's never like you're like in someone's house. Would you have a snow cap? I don't even know what the fuck, where to get them from. Where would you get a milk dud? Yeah, so many of those those uh, candies are throwbacks. I like yeah, that. and even yeah. bonbons. What the hell? A movie theater sells those ice cream bonbons. If I go to my local deli, I'm not going to be able to find one of those in the freezer. You get ice cream in a movie theater here? Um, I think some of them they'll let you off with some ice cream. Yeah, bonbons. Yeah, they, yeah those stupid bonbon yeah. things. Yeah. I, th my, uh, I never had ice cream in a movie. I mean, fucking, it's too dark. Is there fucking <laughs> spilling on me? And what about a movie theater hot dog? They've been in that, there for like five years. Well, I get really thing. grossed out by these people that they want to have a dinner at the movie. Oh. I'm not cutting a fucking steak while I'm watching a movie. <laughs> that sounds crazy. Or hearing somebody next to me having a full meal. It's bad enough with fuck that. a popcorn. And my movie, well, they serve like five hot dogs at a time. It's like five mini hot dogs. It's like, why would you get uh, that? Here's Blowhard Roy in Pittsburgh wants to fight with you. Go ahead. Hey, Blowhard. I, I just, I don't even want to fight. I'm just thinking, uh, you know, you're making the comparison between uh, athletes and movie stars. Uh, a movie star can be seen anywhere across the country and across the whole globe, for that matter. When oh, can an athlete? Price, 
Well, no, well, sure, you can see that you can watch them on TV, but we, you're talking about ticket prices and salaries and all that. It's all the you same. Only... It's all entertainment dollar. And whether you and your chick decide to go out on a Friday night to go catch the movie with Tom Cruise, or you want to go sit through a Twilight doubleheader at Yankee Stadium to watch A-Rod, it's all entertainment dollar, and it's uh, all about the entertainment. Here's Sean. Fez. Hey, Lord, I love you, bud, but uh, when was the last time a city had to pay 50% of the cost of putting up a movie theater, or you had to pay... Oh, I agree 100%. I, listen, that, I'm I think that people. annoys any thinking person anybody, that the anybody city pays for any of these fucking stadiums. thinks that the Yankees needed that new stadium the way that the... the you know, George Steinbrenner, everybody raves about how great he is, but don't forget, he put a gun to New York City's head at one point, threatening to leave the Bronx and go to New Jersey. So... To me, with, with the schools crumbling, the infrastructure falling apart, the last thing we need is municipal uh, money, fed, uh, city funds to pay. And Yankee Stadium was basically a lot of bonds and a lot of money, but the city basically just gave them some tax breaks, gave them some uh, real estate area around it, and they improved the uh, transportation areas, like the stations and everything. But, again, to waste money on stadiums so multimillionaires could have a beer garden, I agree. 100%. Eric wants to add something. Hey, Eric, you're running Fez. Hey, Ron. Hey, Fez. Uh, Blowhard, I just wanted to kind of touch base on on the the ticket industry. Uh, I own a movie theater. I own several movie theaters in New Jersey and Pennsylvania. And let me just say something. We make no money off of ticket sales. And the concession, which is where we do make our money, yes, it's high cost. Um, but so is Yankee Stadium. Exactly. I mean, Yankee Stadium. You get robbed for beer, you get robbed for everything, and nobody says when you go to these venues. Eric, it doesn't seem to me that if you have that large building, the insurance, everything, it doesn't seem like if you're only selling that popcorn and candy, it doesn't seem like a good business to be in. It's, you know what, it's a dying business, and it's one that I need to get out of. I would, I would agree with that 100%. My neighborhood, when I was growing up, we had six or seven movie theaters. Now we have two. Yeah, well, but those two movie theaters probably have 40 screens. Yeah, and it's, it's absurd how, when I was a kid, the theaters, like I said, six, seven theaters in the neighborhood. Well, Eric actually owns one. one. Eric, screen. what is it, how big of a movie does it have to be for you to start making money and selling popcorn? Does it have to be a huge hit? No, the problem is the bigger the movie, the bigger the chunk that the movie company takes. Let me just put this in focus. Uh, when, when Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace came out, George Lucas, who owns everything, basically dictated that your movie theater has to be of certain size because he wanted the crowds. He also put into the contract that the first four weeks, he got 90% of your box office. The next four weeks, he got 80% of your box office. The next four weeks, he got 70% of your box office. Now, keep in mind, that math gives you 12 weeks. Who is going to see a movie in the 13th and 14th week? We lost our shirt over that. Lucas got fat and rich. So you're being squeezed by the studios, basically, and, because... And that, yes, and that doesn't include the thousands of dollars that I have to put up just to get their product. And it's the film company that mandates what movie trailers go on before and what commercials. All right, I'm sorry, maybe not commercials. You know, I, Coke will pay me X amount of dollars. You know what, Eric, I'd like to have you come in and do this show sometime because I'm interested in how the entire business uh, works. I'm going to put you on hold, okay? And maybe we'll have you come in and just talk about what it's like to run one of these, all right? Sure. All right, hold on.
All right, Blowhard, I appreciate it, buddy. Now, we got a big fantasy weekend. Isn't it going to be great? And we got the Final Four coming up. This is uh, it's going to be a nerve-wracking weekend, but I can't wait to get up there and uh, just this party and uh, see you guys. And uh, Same here, buddy. Wait. I just can't wait to uh, have some of that bean dip. Yeah, it should, you're going to love it. Uh, Blowhard, I'll see you over the Hopefully. weekend. Yeah, I could use a good laxative. Uh, all right, thanks. All right. Uh, coming up uh, on the show, uh, Wavy Gravy is going to be doing the show with us. And Wavy Gravy, for those of you who aren't familiar with the name, this is a guy who was on the bus. Uh, he was there with Kesey. He was at Woodstock. Well, actually, you probably know for the fact you probably have Wavy Gravy ice cream. Hell before. yeah. Well, he's the guy, obviously, that it's named after. Um, if you've ever seen the Woodstock movie and the guy who says... What we're trying to do here is breakfast for 400,000 people. That's Wavy Gravy. Oh, man. Now, there is a movie out um, that is being done by Michelle Ezrick, and it's unbelievable. Um, the film is called Saint Misbehaving, and it's Wavy Gravy's story. You follow him through life, and Michelle, I believe, did this documentary for 10 years before she was put together and uh it's a real strong one uh saint misbehave and make sure you keep an eye out for it but let's bring in michelle Ezrick and wavy gravy had Bonnie in before. She's about wavy gravy here with us and Michelle uh, Ezrick who directed this. First of all, congratulations. Thank you. The film is so much fun and it's an amazing, an amazing story. Thank you. Yes, Our motto is toward the fun. Toward Give me an fun. F. Give me an F. <laughs> Well, the crazy thing is, it was almost like watching like 
a hippie Forrest Gump, where wherever yeah. anything was <laughs> happening in the 60s, uh, beatniks, on the bus, anti-war, Woodstock, the hog farm, Wavy was right there in the middle of it. Life is like a box of noogies. <laughs> <laughs> um, you start out uh, with the beatnik stuff, and you were in Greenwich Village when? I was a teenage beatnik. In the is it 50s, late 50s? Late and... 50s, yes. Uh, starting first in Boston, where I started uh, jazz and poetry on the East Coast, inadvertently. Mm -hmm. I read about it in Time magazine. I said, hey, I know some musicians. I got some poems. Let's do it. Yeah, and we went into a place called the uh, the Rock. There's a bar on Huntington Avenue in the basement. It was called the Pebble in the Rock, mm -hmm. and I got the kids from the museum school, and they put black tablecloths down and mobiles and paintings, and uh, we rocked the Rock. Uh, so when you came into the village, people Kerouac was there and mm. Ginsburg was there. Absolutely. And at that point, did you guys even know it was a scene, or was everybody? Just doing their own thing. Uh, I was, you know, just a, a young man. Uh, uh, I was going to the neighborhood playhouse, mm -hmm. uh, school of the theater in the daytime, and reading my poetry uh, in the coffee houses at night, and then ending up at the Gaslight, becoming the poetry director of the Gaslight. I got to do a, a gallon of, uh, of vino with Jack Kerouac. I met him at Sagamore's and uh, lured him to my lair, and and we hung. Uh, the Gaslight became amazing as a as a folk music venue. I I talked the owner John Mitchell. Mm -hmm. um, I made all my money with poetry. That's in the movie. Yeah, yeah. and I talked him into doing folk music. And uh, next thing you know, uh, it's a folk music mecca. And what we did at two o'clock, we kind of closed the place to customers and artists came from all over the city. And played for each other, and I'm talking uh, Bob Dylan, Peter Paul, and Mary. Everybody would would congregate and and share e each other's new songs. It was amazing. Yeah, and like the real weird thing about it is, of course, it's pre-internet, and I'm sure the New York Times isn't, you know, writing these stories. So somehow these people are coming together just through word of mouth, just. Yeah, it was yeah. The, the the we whatever the networking was, we, we didn't have that word. But yeah, people talked to people, and word got around. Yeah, so at this time you're there, not only like in one scene, like with Kerouac and Ginsburg, then the folk scene with people like Dylan, but at the same time you're hanging out with some of the greatest comics, Lenny Bruce, Bill Cosby, <coughs> all these things kind of. I guess intertwined at the same time. Well, Bill Cosby was uh, going to Temple uh, University and uh -huh. coming in on the weekends. Uh, uh, Bob Dylan, uh, I shared a room upstairs from the Gaslight where we all used to hang out, and mm -hmm. uh, I had a typewriter there that Dylan wrote "Hard Rain's Gonna Fall On." <laughs> was, wow! Bruce Springsteen said to me a couple years ago, "You still got that typewriter?" <laughs> it was actually eaten by a Beacons along with Lenny Bruce's couch. Wow. Wow, these stories are just crazy, um, Michelle. What made you think I've got to, I've got to start and document this? How did that all come about? I got to know Wavy, and well, I met him in '92, and in '96 mm -hmm. we we did a lot of benefit work together, and I just had a field of dreams moment where I had a calling. 
I, I really heard this voice that said, if you put them on a screen, people will come and they'll be inspired and they'll be affirmed that we can make a difference and have fun. Well, I think which is great is you've got him now telling the stories, but there's also so much of this footage mm-hmm. that I, uh, so much of it I had never seen before. Nobody's ever seen it. All over the place. Mm-hmm. How did that, uh, how were you able to collect all that stuff? Well, it was a challenge. The mm-hmm. film took me 10 years till I felt like it was done. And mm-hmm. I had this list of stories. Uh, I had this wish list of archival footage that I wanted to find because I had heard Wavy tell these amazing stories. So I, I knew what I want to find this. I got to find this. I got to find this. And you this. just traced it down person by person? and Just traced it down. And I had a great archivist working with me on it. My whole team, you know, everybody pitched in and helped. The footage at the end, the journey from England to Nepal that they take on, yeah. on two oh, that buses. Is stunning. Nobody's stunning ever seen that footage has been in a temperature controlled storage space in Los Angeles since nineteen seventy one. Wow. So no one's ever seen that before. Uh and it is there's so much stuff in here. Now at the time as you're living this stuff, Wavy, did it ever occur to you that I'm living a movie that that it's a life that a film could well, we be made al- out of? We always used to talk about it that way. Yeah. Uh, that we were in this big, big, big movie that is our lives. Uh-huh. And uh, Mrs. Gravy can reaffirm that. We always used to uh, talk about the, uh, this this movie. And Kesey also used to talk about it all being a movie. And, and they were always uh, filming and taping everything. I mean, people yeah. have an argument and they break the cameras out and start uh, shooting right there on the bus. Well, you know, you you brought that uh, brought up the fact that your wife in the movie is just so gorgeous. And, and this stuff that you guys have together is so fantastic. And to have taken this journey with somebody is an amazing mm-hmm. amazing thing mm-hmm. to look at it was really really incredibly touching and not only that but all the other people all those kids that have been in and out of your life and they're grown people and mm-hmm. were taught I me mean, those scenes mm-hmm. alone yeah, the hog farm community has been together over 40 years and our our kids kids are now uh, beginning to take uh, their steps forward and becoming mm-hmm. turning into their lives and we get to run this children's camp that we've run uh, over 30 years camp winter rainbow a circus and performing arts camp i do nine weeks for kids seven to 14 and one week for grown-ups it's never too late to have it's a happy childhood never too late to get in and do it again and it looks like it's it's just a ball but at the same time it's coming across how much fun you're having doing all this stuff particularly some of the stuff that looks like it would have been you know disaster areas that that you show up where people are are at their worst point of their lives and you're bringing something else to it i have a great line in the woodstock film i say there is a little bit of heaven in every disaster area and i think that's true wherever you go if there's a flood in mississippi people are filling sandbags and and hanging out and there's rich people and poor people and people of all different colors and they're all doing it and that's what we did at woodstock except we had a better soundtrack (laughs) well i had uh i remember i think it was like abby hoffman's book that i read many years ago that he said if it wasn't for the the hog farm that everything would have went south that the hog farm was the thing that kept it 
from being a real disaster that you Did guys... Did you see Abby in the movie? Yeah, it was great. Good it looking out. Great. He's just yeah. there for a flash. Just walking by. And then... But I, I want to say that Abby uh, organized the uh, the hospital, separating the patients and the nurses and the doctors and putting up Big Pink, which was the hospital tent. And, yeah. And it was Abby that organized that. And he, did, he's, he was an organizer, first in Boston and then in Liberty House down yeah. south. And he did that, and he was amazing at it. And the interesting thing, though, now that you brought that up, is that... He'll still get a lot of bad press about Woodstock because maybe he bought politics to it in the in the Who story, but you were the guys that kept that stuff from you know people from getting hurt, people from being on bad trips, people sharing their food. Um, it's one, but I would say it's one of the stories that could be lost, but it hasn't been lost. It does get brought up, I guess. I survived three Woodstocks. The first one made me famous, and the second two got me paid. And you can't do. <laughs> anything over but you can do something different yeah and each woodstock was different unto itself and the last woodstock was was really interesting to me and got a terrible reputation because at the end of the festival i had said goodbye to my friends indigenous this native american blues band they were to do a tribute to Jimi hendrix i said i'm woofed i'm going to the hotel i got back to the hotel i turned on the tv and there was this semi-truck in flames and this whole uh riot going down and mm -hmm. i thought what the heck and what happened was that fred durst uh from a limp biscuit right. uh in it told people that they should go out and destroy stuff and it'd make them feel good. And these Buddhists were lighting candles for a sunset ceremony and the Limp Biscuit fans just took the lit candles and torched the semi. <laughs> and there was a, an incident of 500 people of which there were six arrests. But CNN got great shots of skinheads jumping through flames and they showed it over and over and said peace and love is dead in the 90s and they were also talking about hey what about this six dollar water man water costs six dollars a bottle yeah the french water right <laughs> but water that came out of the tap was free and nobody brought that up so that is, uh, i guess almost been a lifetime thing of yours of dealing with the media who's afraid of people who think outside the normal American box the way you do. You Unfortunately, know? I did not get to deal with the media of Woodstock 3. I would have been honored to right. do it. It was John Shear who dug himself into a little hole. There. Right. But once these stories start to twist and go south, there's not a lot you can do to, to pull it back. And some of that comes mm. up in the in the film web how some of the regular people be afraid of the hog farm and you would have to kind of open your lives to them and show them what was going on <laughs> uh, i want to talk to you a little bit about being on the bus with ken kesey and the electric kool-aid acid test at that time did you were you there when wolf came in i know that you were in the book but had you met tom wolf at that time i was living <laughs> Tom Wolf's house, uh, working at WBAI in the mornings with Bob Fast, wow. and and uh, and putting up the flags at the United Nations, and then crashing at Tom's place on Beekman Place, and he never asked me about it. Uh, he got information from Claire Brush, a reporter from the L.A. Free Press, that said I was responsible for putting the acid in the Kool Aid at Watts. The reality of it was, uh, this was the eve that LSD became illegal. And I was on a microphone saying, listen, everybody, uh, the Kool-Aid on the right is the electric Kool-Aid. 
the Kool-Aid on the left is for the children. Once again, the Kool-Aid on... And I went over it and over it and over it, but people would be dancing for three hours to the Grateful Dead, and they just grabbed something wet, and then they started to melt down. So the intentions... I mean, you were out to get people to trip, but you... You didn't dose them. You wanted everybody to know I did know not it. believe that anybody should ever be dosed. Right. I think they should know full well what they're getting into. These days I say the acid's in the oranges. Ascorbic, that is. <laughs> <laughs> now, for you, uh, as this was going on, I guess, I mean, time after time, you've become part of these legendary, almost mythic events. At the time, did you realize that these stories would be told and retold, or was this just regular life for you? It was uh, life and life only. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, one thing led to another, and history is a list of surprises. Kurt Vonnegut said that. I, yeah. just, I didn't just make it up. <laughs> uh, it's an amazing, amazing film. It's called Saint Misbehaving, and it's the Wavy Gravy movie. Uh, and and we, says, o we opened in New York on Wednesday night at the IFC Center on 6th Avenue and 3rd Street. So it's playing there one week only, so t people have till next Tuesday. And then we open in Woodstock tomorrow at Upstate Films, Woodstock. And, and you guys are taking this show out on the road and telling us... we got a rave review, a rave review by Stephen Holden in the New York Times. I'm so touched. I have to be so much better than I am to live up to that review. <laughs> I don't think so, man. I don't think so. I think... The, the part of this, you know, I was ready for the fun, I was ready for the silliness, but the stuff that you've done with doctors mm -hmm. and putting people together, and I, I think some of the things of doing stuff for people on the other side of the world who will Seva. Not, yeah. S-E-V-A dot O-R-G if you want to check it out. I'm wavygravy.net. <laughs> Pleased to meet you. Um, <laughs> Seva is a Sanskrit word that means service to humankind, and we've been working in curable and preventable blindness. As 80% of the people in the world that are blind do not need to be blind. And if you are blind in a third world country, they refer to you as a mouth without hands. And over the last 30 years, through the Seva Foundation and the Arvind Eye Hospital in India, we have helped to restore the site to over 2 million going towards 3 million people in India, Nepal, Cambodia, Tanzania, and in Tibet with the blessing of the Dalai Lama. And you guys just show up, uh, you get the doctors over there, they do mm -hmm. these operations? No, 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 no. no? We, we train uh, ophthalmologists in India from the countries of ah. their origin. We do not want some uh, uh, hot white doctor right. to come uh, uh, flash on through. No, we want the people in the country. There were only eight ophthalmologists in Nepal when we first went there, but we trained uh, scores of them in India, and now the country is, is humming along, and uh, we have uh, built a hospital in Lumbini, very close to where Buddha was born. It's, you know, the fact that you could even pull that off. We were given a lot of help by, yeah. for instance, the Grateful Dead that was our house band over the years and uh, wonderful musicians like Bonnie Raitt and Jackson Brown and Dr. John and all my friends that get to sing my basic human needs song um, at the end of the movie during yeah. the credits. And hopefully someday that will be available as a charity a single. Now, when you say that, you know, but I think the interesting work is that you had to organize the fact that, you know, people like the dead or whatever would love to give back. How do you do it? The doctors would love to get this money, love to do the training. But it becomes this thing of how do you connect all those 
places together, you know, and make this necklace that, you know, can be worn now by millions of people. It's an, it's an amazing accomplishment. And I don't Michelle know. Michelle Esrick. Yeah. And, and her wonderful editors and people that she worked with. Her and, team. And that's the other part of this, Michelle, that, that you've done with this film because we all have this one image of, of Wavy. We have this image of the hog farm as like fun loving hippies. Mm -hmm. But the fact of that you look down and see that these same people have accomplished more than some big organizations, more mm -hmm. than some big government organizations. Mm -hmm. um, that's the part of the film that really, really stunned me. Mm -hmm. I'm so glad that you got it. That's what I wanted you to get. Yeah. Uh, that's the film that I wanted to make was uh, what is a lifelong carrier of peace and justice look like? Yeah. It looks like Wavy. It looks like Jahanara. And... Uh, and we we want to celebrate other people who are doing good works. We I create I asked Wavy and Job if I could create the Wavy Gravy Basic Human Needs Award. So when we're at a screening, we we honor people that are doing good works because it's really about that we can we can make a difference. And you know a lot of people know Wavy from Woodstock, or they know him as an ice cream flavor, or mm -hmm. they know him you know maybe a little more. But um, it was really great to truly introduce him. Well, that is the that is the part of it that I don't want anybody to think that this is just some kind of movie that's teaching a message. And it, mm -mm. the the real message is, I think, in the life of these people that they're willing to do it massively, but they're also throughout the movie doing it one person at a time. Whether mm -hmm. it's a kid, whether it's somebody that needs mm -hmm. help, and it's. It's more than I would even say lifestyle. It's it's a mm -hmm. life, and that's the thing that came over this that mm -hmm. this arc of time mm -hmm. that takes the place. The sand gets through the hourglass one grain at a time, <laughs> and beautiful score throughout the movie by yeah. Emery Joseph, who uh, put together that jigsaw puzzle at the end, which is my anthem, basic human needs. Mm -hmm. He turned my little song into a rock gospel that everybody stays for the credits and yeah. sings the choruses. Mm -hmm. And it was his first uh, film score. And is it's that just right? gorgeous. Yeah, emeryjoseph.com. I mean, he is so... Bonnie Ray recorded his song Trinkets for her her album Souls Alike. He's he so, has a great album so of He has a great album of the Garcia Hunter songbook called Fenario that I really, really recommend. Mm -hmm. um, the Dead have been one of those uh, things that, you know, for all these years you've been part of. You know, to, to be part of stuff on the East Coast and the West Coast of all this. Do you see younger bands still getting involved? Do you run into younger people that want to be part of this? Oh, yeah, all yeah. the time. Whenever uh, I'm in a different city, there's all these young kids popping up, uh, uh, doing uh, uh, folk music, but beyond folk music. Mm -hmm. And not just not just rock and roll, but... but uh, uh, you know, like the electric muskrats and all these weird little uh, folk music with smoking banjos and 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 bluegrass is taken off and there 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 are music festivals all over the place from from uh, Bonnaroo, uh, you know, a huge, enormous. Uh, I do the gathering of the vibes every year. I I can only do one because I run my children's camp in the summer, so I have one festival that I do unless another Woodstock comes along and I. Think think that that's going to be uh, 
When is the 50th anniversary? I, I remember which <laughs> time. <laughs> uh, well, who's ever the last one, I guess, gets to tell the whole story. That's what you got to shoot for, that you're the last one that remembers these stories. I think, too, that the, the point of this that I really loved is that when we looked at the kind of stuff that you were doing in the 60s and people saying you were dropping out of whatever... And now you don't even get to retire. This became this <laughs> lifelong work. My tires are fine. Yeah, you're not going to retire them at all. No. Nope. But you guys are going just as strong as you were in the 60s. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, now more than ever because uh, doors have opened for me. As, as, and this film is going to open a lot more doors. Mm -hmm. Holy moly. It's, it's a chance uh, to really put my good where it will do the most. Uh, as you were putting this together over 10 years, mm -hmm. did you have any idea that it would lay out this way or did the film start in one direction and go in a different direction for you? I knew I wanted it to be what it is, mm -hmm. what you saw, but getting there, right? Yeah. So uh, I had followed Wavy around for 10 years, over a period of 10 years, so I had... 250 hours of verite footage from following him around. So it's not just archival footage to let people know you see him present day, you see him at his house, you see him running the camp and doing the Seva shows. Um, and about 100 hours of archival footage. So the first cut was eight hours. That's the one Wavy wants to see. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, we were in the edit room a, a year and a half until, mm. like, you know, until what I had in my heart and my mind was accomplished. And D.A. Pennybaker is my mentor and executive producer. Genius. And he'd come in the edit room from time to time, and he finally grabbed my shoulders and said, stop editing. You've, got, you've, <laughs> you've got it. He, he, yeah. ac he actually teared up, and he said, it's amazing. You have to, you know, this is it. And so I tweaked it a couple more times, and then uh, I think we have something that people are really responding to. We've done 16 film festivals and you know get the feedback has been really heartwarming. Uh what was it like for you to watch this way because some of the people, you know, you you're seeing yourself at different ages and some of the people obviously are gone and you know what was that experience like to sit down and look at your life on film? I got misty. Yeah. It warmed the cockles of my heart. And in a cold New York night, uh, it's nice to have warm cockles. <laughs> <laughs> it's sweet to be here at Sirius. You know, I, I, I had a show on Sirius for yeah. a number of years, and, and I miss it. I understand they, they had to uh, dump me for bean counting, and they had to pay Howard Stern. So uh, I had to uh, lose my show, which I'm very sad because I loved working at Sirius. I had a great time. The last show I did was a dog show, and all the songs I played were dog-related. <laughs> and it was great fun putting that together. And to do that every week was a, a joy for me. And maybe uh, I'll be back, as uh, Arnold, Arnold so aptly says it. That would be It would be great to have you back. And uh, I just want to tell everybody, you've got to... Uh, see the film saintmisbehaven.com mm -hmm. uh, and again it's fun it's sweet it's empowering and it's uh, it's a one-of-a-kind story and you know Thank the you. ice cream now know the story behind it and we've Yum. got Facebook <laughs> we've got a very active wonderful Facebook page where uh, just put the movie title in and people are tweeting all over 
Uh, and since the New York Times article came out, we've had 15 requests from theaters around the country because I'm distributing myself. Uh, we don't have advertising budget, so everybody out there is my advertisers. And uh, uh, we're really excited to well, be opening great. around. Well, that's great if people around the country, and this is one of the great things that you could do, is get enough people, go to a, th you know, we'll have them contact you, and they go to the theater, mm -hmm. and the theater will just say, okay. If they know that there's a market out there for stuff, they'll react right. to it. Yeah. They yeah. will react. Yeah. Thanks so much for stopping in today. Thank it's you so much for amazing, having amazing, us. amazing treat to meet you guys. Yum, the dessert <laughs> mantra. Yum, 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 yum. <laughs> Thank you. It's the Ron Affair Show. Uh, time to get that search, search, hurry up and search started. And a uh, very cool prize we're giving out today. We got a signed baseball, Keith Hernandez, baseball legend. Also on Seinfeld. I did not know that. Uh, was he George? Did he play the part of George? He played the part of himself, Keith Hernandez. Smart. Smart. That way you know when someone's talking to you, you're like, hey, I'm Keith Hernandez. Uh, by the way, uh, very, very cool for uh, to see the uh, Wavy Gravy thing uh, movie and keep an eye out for that. Now, not only are we giving out to Keith Hernandez, but we wanted to do a little something special today. Anyone in the first 25, there will be a random call uh, drawing in the first 25 people. They'll get the sign Run of Fest t-shirt. Oh, shit. Oh, shit, son. I like this Son. Oh, shit, son. Now, everybody's been afraid of Liam. Liam has pushed the uh, world around today. Uh, for the last week, he has dominated. Let's bring on somebody that we know we can, that can kick a little ass. Somebody that's going to scare Liam. A big A. A big A. Big A, big A, big A, big A. Big A. Search, search, hurry up and search. A big A. Hi, Ron. A hey, big Peppa. A. Oh, hi, Fez. Oh! <laughs> hi, big A. Uh, it is very, very exciting here today. Uh, we're about to play the search, search. Her oh, my God. Oh, here comes the champion, Liam. Sunglasses. He's got a crown on his head. Uh, Liam, you understand, and I don't want, I, I don't want you to worry about this. Big A's a professional typist. He has worked in many offices around the world. He oh, types really? in six different languages. Sure. Uh huh. Sure. Great. Nice to see you, Andrew. How are we doing? Oh. 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 Giving away uh, Big A's name. 
make it look like shit. Whatever. What would you like to say back to him, big guy? Bring it. Uh, we'll see who, who wins. Oh, yeah! oh, come on. Shit talking. Shit talking. All right. Uh, and I, you know, big guy, I didn't know whether it was even fair that you played since you're a professional typist, mm -hmm. but the judges have overruled me, and you will be in this contest tonight against the champion. Liam, if you win today, record five times. When I win, Ronnie, when I win. Now, to wow. the folks at home, obviously you want to try to win this signed Keith Hernandez ball, but at the same time, if you're even in the first 25, you go into a drawing, you could pull it out, and I will say this, not only will the shirt be signed by Ron and Fez, but whoever wins today's contest. Wow. Jesus. Very generous of you. And then it becomes a collectible. I'm looking forward to signing that shirt. All right. Uh, here we go, kids. Here we go. Um, which item was added to the McDonald's menu first? Fresh salads or chicken sandwiches. And then what year did that item debut? That's which item was added to McDonald's menu first? Fresh salads or chicken sandwiches? And what year did that item debut? It's time to search, search, hurry up and search. 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 Search, search, Fresh salads or chicken sandwiches. And what year did that item debut? Now, you want to be careful and be as official as you can because I understand there's some sites out there. That may not have the right information. They are taking their time now. Which item was added to the McDonald's menu first? Fresh salads or chicken sandwiches? And then what year did that item debut? Was it fresh salad? Was it chicken sandwich? Who was first? And then what year? I would personally be thinking official, but I'm not going to tell other people how to live their lives. Um, I think I got this. Keep searching. I think I got it here. Hang on. This could be trouble. This could be trouble. All right. Let's let him get into it. What do you got? I got it. Yeah. Uh, it looks like I have the salads here as being added first, Ronnie. Uh, and it looks like it was in 2003. Oh, my God. Are you far away from the truth. Oof. Liam, this is your chance to steal. What do you got, big A? Oh, I had the same thing. You had the same yes. exact thing? Back to the drawing board, boys. Oof. Keep on All trying. Right. Oh, my God, for the first time ever. For Jesus. the first time ever. Um, make sure you keep on sending your stuff at home. Because not only... Hurry up is it the first search, right answer search, is the big winner? Search, but the first search, 25 search, right answers search, will go into the drawing to win the signed t-shirt. Signed t-shirt. Search, search, hurry up and search. 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 Search, search, hurry up
This is a tricky one. What was first, salad or the chicken sandwich? And what year did that debut? Insert, search, hurry up and search. Uh, Joe from Queens wants to throw a comment in. Joe, go ahead. Yeah, Yeah, I'm glad you're not playing speak, speak, hurry up and speak. All right, that's very hurtful because obviously when you're a professional typist, you don't need to be a public speaker. And, you know, basically right now I'm looking at Big A. He's over the keyboard. And it's like if Shrek decided to write his autobiography, what would happen? He's a big guy. Can I give this another go here, Ronnie? Give it another go. All right. Uh, it's looking like the McChicken was added to the menu in 1980. So I'm going to go with the chicken sandwich in 1980. No. Um, Big A, did you have the same answer at this time? Oh, yes, I did. Okay. Oh, so you guys want to keep on trying? <laughs> Just get right back in there. Keep on trying till we end this game. Um, Big A, if he's a winner, he'd have to come back on Monday. Liam lives here, so that won't be a problem as we play search, search, hurry up and search. Keep on trying, boys. Uh, while we're doing that, Paul from Pensacola wants to tell Fez something. Hey, can you hear me? Yeah. I just want to let Fezzy know that after checking the check, uh, checking the tracking number of the, uh, the banner in your little gift package has arrived at the studio in the shipping department. I don't think Fez has picked it up yet, or you would have announced it, right, Fez? Yeah, so, all right, I will check on that for the banner for the big party this weekend. Now, personally, I would tell everybody I'd be going to McDonald's.com if I was playing this game. Insert, search, hurry up and search. It is indeed a difficult one. A difficult one. Uh, as I'm doing this... Kathleen from the Bronx wants to give her review of Wavy. Oh, guess what? She loved it and Gathering of the Vibes. Oh, I love that fucking festival. Yeah, you were a big fan of it, too? I've been there before, yeah. You've been everywhere, brother. Trying. You've been everywhere, man. Just trying to just get around. Coming up in just a little while, we play the Unmasked with Eddie Brill. Who's yelling that out? Who just yelled out, try chicken sandwiches 73? I don't know what's going I see, on. Uh, I see, uh, let me try another one here, Ronnie. I see, Is he getting help? No, I see oh, 1985 no. salads. 1985 salads. Yeah, there's the rumor of the McChicken in the 80s, but it looks like it's actually Chicken McNuggets. And then 85, they were ready to eat salads. Uh... I believe you are wrong. None of our team seems to know what we're doing. Wow. Big A, did you have the same answer then? Big A, did you have the same answer? Um, uh, no, I can't find anything. Can't find anything. But you are having fun being on the Internet, right? Uh, yes, you I You ever am. say, I'll just write, hi, Twitters. You know, like you like to, good morning, Twitters. <laughs> Still searching. This is uh, this is a tough one, Ronnie. I know. Stay with it. Oh, my team locked up in anticipation. Uh, but we've never had the 
Surge Surge team uh, stump out like this. This, of course, according to McDonald's.com. What a great company. <laughs> McDonald's.com is where we got our answer from. So right now, they keep getting the same answers over and over. All right, let me give this another go. Yeah. Uh, I see in 1987 that they debuted a line of salads. You know what? Some of your problems might be that you're wearing sunglasses now. Oh, yeah. I forgot about that. It might look groovier, (laughs) but you might be answering wrong. Yeah, this is the first week when I've had, Ronnie. 1987 salads. Salads. 1987 salads. Thank you very much. That was a bit of a struggle, but it was. I'm there. But I would like to say this: Big A picks up the silver. Okay. Big A, Big A, looking good. Search. Big A always looks good in silver. A Big A. <laughs> Uh, Liam, you are the big winner again. Thank you, you won Ronnie. This entire week. I know that's big. And I just want to say to my staff, I wanted somebody in here on Monday that can beat Liam. Please. All right. All right. Because I mean, you went ridiculous. outside the building today. Yeah. Yeah. I went an on-air personality. Okay. To knock him down because let's face it, uh, and we heard it from Wavy Gravy that the on uh, that the on-air personalities have to stick together and we have to be against the suits. And Liam is a suit. I am a suit. In the end of the day. And he's making all us look like dicks. A little bit. Where are you? Uh, it's easy. When you leave here, what are you getting on? A private plane with Paul McCartney and you guys just riding around? No, it's a busy day. I'm hanging out with the old 97s and Dave Marsh and Steve Earle. And then I'm going up to the Apollo Theater to check out the McCartney stuff. Dave, Dave Marsh has Steve Earle today? He's hanging with him out in the lobby. That's, really that's why cool. I was a little late. That's I, really cool. That's the, the kind of people I hang with, Ron. It's That's the coolest. I agree. The fact that we got Dave Marsh, Steve Earle, Wavy all running around. By the way, Wavy's r- wife is the sweetest person in the history. She seemed very nice. She's unbelievable. I just I walked in on him saying he drank a gallon of wine with Jack Kerouac, and that yeah. just blew my mind. That's amazing. Look, let me tell you who he hung around with. He was hanging out with Kerouac. He was hanging out with Ken Kesey, who wrote the, right. uh, Tom Wolfe. He's staying at his house. Bill Cosby and him were... Uh, wow. Hanging out. Insane. Of course, everybody in the dead was yeah. his friend. Yeah. yeah. Wavy's got um, friends, man. His best friend was Neil Armstrong, and he stayed on the in the capsule while Neil Armstrong was walking on the moon. What? Wavy was in the capsule. <laughs> that was in 69. Didn't know he trains an astronaut. Yeah. Uh, Wavy was living with these people, and the three of them came up with the polio vaccine. What? It's amazing. It, some that's of pretty stuff fantastic. Yeah. I know he was a scientist. He's yeah. a Renaissance man. Yeah, he was the first boat to get out to the Titanic. I mean, he's been doing shit. <laughs> While you good. guys have been yeah. While you guys have been hanging out, he's been getting shit done. Um, all right. Uh, coming up in just a bit, Eddie Brill. Uh, we're gonna play his unmasked. I remember, Liam. You said when you first heard that you cried. You I loved did. It, so it much. was it was moving. I didn't know that because with all your cool friends, I didn't know. Yeah. That anything like that would matter to you. Right. I didn't know who he was, but after I listened to your interview, it was it was an experience. Um, well, Eddie Brill, of course, uh, a great, great comic. And at the same time, books The Letterman Show. 
Oh, Books right. the comedians on the Letterman show. Not only that, let's say if he said to Liam, Liam, you're going to be on the Letterman show, mm -hmm. then he would take you out that week, like six different appearances, and work that set. So by the time you got to Letterman, it would be perfect. And he's got stories. This is the comedy mind he has and the stories that he has. Yeah. All right? Uh, Fez Watley, I just want you to say hi to everybody before we go to this. Hello, everyone. That's uh, my uh, buddy, Fez Watley. Uh, thanks so much. We're going to go into uh, Unmasked now. Liam, see you back here on Monday. I'll be here. I can't believe this. Um, what are you going to do? Some guys, there's winners, and there's some guys who get the silver. A big A. Big A. Big A. <laughs> right next to the winner. A big A. <laughs> uh, all right, so coming up next, Unmasked with Eddie Brill, Ryan and Fez Show. The Ron and Fez Show. On the virus. Yeah, yeah, hi. Eddie, do you feel like uh, a real need to do a warm-up before you get started? <laughs> oh, you can do the warm-up for me. It'll be nice for a change. Oh, <laughs> uh, you know, um, it's such a, 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 actually a strange position because here it is, you're a touring comedian and not just around the United States, but then again, you have one of the more unique jobs in show business, and that's booking comedians for The Letterman Show. Yeah, it's kind of cool. You know, I didn't plan on it. I, It's interesting because when I was in school, we started this comedy group, and mm -hmm. all of a sudden we were sort of in the business of comedy, uh, and it was kind of interesting and cool and something I never dreamed about doing. Uh, and then when I got out of college, I started running a comedy club in New York City, and all of a sudden I was booking comedians. Mm -hmm. And that was because in 1984, there w it was a very weird time because you couldn't get work if you were out-of-town comic. It, you... You know, it was all a clicky New York comedy sure. clubs. So guys like, um, you know, Stephen Wright and Bob Goldthwait in Boston or Jake Johansson and Paula Poundstone on the West Coast, they weren't getting any of the club work. So I started a club in the city. This way I can sort of run it. And Colin Quinn helped me run it. Mm -hmm. And he was kind of young at the time as well, like me, young at the time. And we had a really fun comedy club. So I was booking comics. But it became overwhelming because everyone's dream was to be at a club in New York. And they were calling me at home. And it was really intense. So I stopped it because I wanted to be a comedian. I didn't want to be a booker. It was overwhelming how many phone calls I was getting and people crying and yelling. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm going to be great. And I go, I want you to be great. <laughs> you know. And I promise I, I'm a comedian. I know what it's like. Mm -hmm. So when the opportunity came at Letterman, I had already been there for like three and a half years or so to take over as the booker. I was like, hmm, I don't know. Um, but Dave convinced me that it was going to be a cool thing. And it turned out to be cool because yeah. I know it was my dream to do that show. So to be able to help other people along the way with their dream, it's really fun for me. I, I like what, when you brought up there, too, and I don't know whether young people know this, but as soon as you find a room that doesn't uh, you know, have anything happening at night, you could say, I'll bring in the comedians. Boom, you're in comedy that quickly. Yeah. I mean, it happens. Yeah. I don't know if there's another <laughs> system that people just go, oh, really? You can't? They don't check up on you. Yeah, right. You're just like, <laughs> I know how to do this. Trust me. And as what you really need to find are failing restaurants. It's the best. <laughs> and I remember in the early days, we rode so many clubs down. Just like the guys be going like, well, the, things are really rough. And you're like, yeah, but we're getting experience. This is really fun for us. Yeah. And you <laughs> You know, there was a, a restaurant at right near NYU that was uh, 
really successful, but there was nothing going on in the cabaret room. Right. And so this guy I went to college with, who remembered I was with a comedy group, said, hey, we, they want to try comedy. And it seemed to work. Yeah. And it seemed that my friends were pretty good comics, not famous then. Right. But they were doing pretty well. And Colin wasn't famous then, and he had a bunch of friends who were comics. And we met Adam Sandler because he was going to NYU, and he was great because he would bring 30 friends from college and fill our comedy room up yeah. with his friends. And, he, you know, it was just a great situation where people, it was, you know, you leave your ego at the door. It was just about work and doing great comedy. Yeah. You didn't have to impress anybody to get on stage, really. Yeah, and at the same time, all, now suddenly you're introduced to everybody else in the business. Other guys can help you get work out of town. And uh, it's really unique. It's not like bands can pull that off or, or other art forms. But for you, I wanted to get back to this, too, because uh, I get the feeling with you, you committed at a certain point and are still very committed to the art of comedy, where uh, a lot of people are just about oh, this is a great living, or I'm doing well, I'm moving up. But to you, I've always had the feeling that it's a little more important than that. Yeah, you know, I, I just, I'm very, very lucky to do it, and mm -hmm. I, I love it. I never thought I would do it. I loved comedy growing up, and I was such a fan of even the older comics and you know, guys like Jackie Vernon and, and guys that were so brilliant or reading Mark Twain as a kid and knowing that he was a, like a stand-up comedian or Jack Benny and these kind of people. I always loved the business and the art and all that kind of stuff. I always loved the people who had a soul. You can feel them. It's like when you would hear Nina Simone sing, you would go, oh, my God. Right. And then when you see, hear these comedians, you knew there was like that same sensibility. So through the years, it's always been important to me. The great thing is working with Dave Letterman, who has that same sensibility. He doesn't care if a comedian's famous. He wants them to be great at what they do, to be a one-of-a-kind artist. So it's great because we both have that sensibility. Him, of course, more strong and brilliant sure. than anybody that I know. And uh, he he trusts me to find people that would make him laugh. And he does, again, he doesn't care what the person does. Like a lot of times, people will try to get their comics on the show. Agents will call and say, "Well, my comedian opened up for Bill Cosby," and I go, "Well, then maybe I should book Bill Cosby." <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like it's everyone has these. Oh, yeah. And but really, the truth is, is we're just looking for those one of a kind artists that are those one of a kind comedians. That art group that's this, you know, two fingers close together. That that small group, uh, there's that, you know, in every part of art, in television, in painting, in film, there's a very small percentage that's really art. Mm. And in comedy, it's the same thing, and it's really fun to find that. The other part of my job um, is the very rare job of finding a young comedian who no one's ever heard of before and putting them on television and then doing really, really well and, and giving them the chance to grow despite the fact that they're chomping in the bit thinking they're ready now. Yeah. And then I know they're not, I won't. Everybody's ready in their uh, head. Yes. Everybody knows. Oh, yeah. I'm I thought I was this. ready when I yeah. wasn't ready. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I still think I'm ready and I'm not. The, the funny thing is the younger you are, the higher that confidence level is. Yes. Because at a certain point you'll say to yourself, well, wait a minute, I, I'm now just getting it. But you always kind of feel that way when you're starting. You're like, okay. Yeah, Kinison, Sam Kinison, I, I, I'll drop names only because mm -hmm. they were wonderful people to me. He said to me, if you think you're ready, wait six months and then you, then do it. Anytime you think you're ready, wait six months and then, and then do it because you feel that when you're ready, you just feel like you're too, you know, again, chomping at the bit or the young right. colt. Uh, and he said to me, he says, you're very funny, but he says, you still need polish. And it was great. He said, you need stage time. And I got a ton of stage time thanks to him when I was living in L.A. for a while. And then and then after a while, he said, now you're getting it, It's uh, nice. It's interesting to bring up Kinison's name because there was a guy when he went on TV 
And I think the first time, I, well, it might have been HBO and then Letterman and right. then SNL. But he was entirely different than everybody else at that point and made you, I mean, it was the, the physicality that you felt through the TV set, you know, it was just amazing. And it was great because in those days in L.A. at the Comedy Store, it was, you know, Richard Pryor would come in and, uh, I mean, that's just alone right there. Yeah. But everyone would come in and do comedy. But when Kinison came, everyone stopped what they were doing to go watch what he did because he was so unique and so inventive. And every night he would have new material and try other things and then do stuff that he's already been working on and make that even better. So it was a thrill just to watch him. Everyone yeah. would stop. The whole place would stop to watch him. And that's when you know... That someone's special, and you know he was one of those guys. Uh, it, it, and again, it's when you talk about you're looking for unique comedians. That unique comedian at the at some point right before they make it, everybody tells them that they're doing everything wrong because <laughs> there yeah. was no way to take Kinison's act to what you wanted to do with the Carson show at the time. It would have been a total mistake uh, for what he was doing. You should be performing like Seinfeld, which a million people were doing some variation of Seinfeld and Leno in those days. And then here comes Kinnison. He looks wrong. He's dressed yeah. wrong. And boom, it breaks through. Six months, a year later, everybody's Kinnison. Before you look around, everybody's doing that. Well, I think that happens. You know, everyone acts like a comedian when they first are starting out as a comedian. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I noticed that. And I noticed that in my early tapes. I, I would, I, George Carlin was my hero. Mm -hmm. And I, like, I, my, my rhythms would be like Carlin. <laughs> yeah. And I would talk like this. Yeah. And then in each generation, you have your David Tells and you have mm -hmm. your young, I mean, everyone acting like David Tell, then everyone acting like Mitch Hedberg, everyone acting like Brian Regan. Mm -hmm. There are different eras of stuff now there are the daniel tosh uh before the just before daniel there was D dane cook uh you know and i watch so much of video and dvd and links on comics which is hard for me because i have to write my own stuff right and not do anything or close to anything that anyone does and but i do watch <laughs> a lot and i see so much of a certain kind of comedian in, a, in each era that cause i've been doing the booking now for 10 years uh, I'm, I imagine sometimes it's got to be unbearable because you don't want to hurt people's feelings, but you know you keep sending me tapes. I'm telling you time and time again, this isn't the direction we're looking But no, for. it's different. That part, I'll, I'll address that part first. Here's the thing. I've reinvented myself so many times right. as a comedian. So if I see a comedian and they're mediocre or less than right for our show, I won't not look... That's double negative. I will look at their tape. Uh, <laughs> I will look at their tape six months, a year from now. Uh -huh. There was a guy, and I don't remember his name all of a sudden. It just I can picture him. He's from Denver. He's a young comic. He's terrific. Two years ago, I saw him. I booked this comedy festival in Nebraska for Johnny Carson in right. his hometown. And I looked for him at the, for the festival. He wasn't ready. He wasn't a decent comedian. And then last year, he blew me away. So I won't discount a comedian just on a, a bad tape. I'll say, because I know I have tapes of me that are mm -hmm. horrific and then eventually and I thought they were great I thought I was a genius <laughs> and I was awful and I look back I was a DJ in college and I thought I was the hippest DJ I listened back and it's like that was Led Zeppelin with the ocean you know it's like who was that guy but the weird but the beginning part of the question is very interesting I took on the job mm -hmm. and I want to be the booker that everyone that I wanted right so I want the guy to look at my stuff so I look at everybody's stuff. I look at so much stuff to look mm -hmm. at, but I look at it. And I can't get back to everybody. I get back to like 80% of the people as much as I can. But I also 
Here's the weird part about my job. I have to say no 99% of the time to yeah. people's dreams. And I don't take it lightly. And I understand that. So the only way I can sleep at night is that I tell the truth. But do it in a way that's never rude or, you know, it's, I respect every comedian because it's the hardest job I've ever had to do. And my favorite job in the world to do of all the 10 jobs I have right now, mm -hmm. that's my favorite job still. Booking Letterman is more important to other people about what I do than it is for me. Although I love it and I cherish it and I take it seriously, doing stand-up wins hands down over everything else I do. Uh, I'm more excited about gigs that I have coming up than I do about a young comedian coming up, but I'm really excited about some of these young comedians mm -hmm. that no one's ever heard of. But I have to say, I have to, as long as I tell the truth, then it's not... You know, I don't own... If they get angry at me, I, can't, I won't own that shit because mm -hmm. it's not... I have... I can't own that. So I can sleep at night now because, like, for instance, last year, 23 comedians got on the show. Yeah. Some years have been 37. Some years have been 12. It's, it matters. It's, you know, the executive producers make all the decisions on that. I want more comedians, but I understand the process. So out of the 8,000 or so people I looked at, 23 got on the show. Probably 12 of them have done the show every year because they're really great comics that have become our regulars, like, mm -hmm. you know, Jake Johansson and Jim Gaffigan and, you know, many, many names. And that's once a year when you're a regular? You, you don't yeah. do more than once a year? We try to keep people once a year because there's not that many bookings. Mm -hmm. I didn't do the show for seven years. You know, it was very surreal because when I became the booker, it was like, oh, I think I, well, for my birthday, I'd like to do the show. Right? That would work out nice. And, you know, uh, yeah, and okay, what else do I want for my birthday? That's the best gift I can but, give myself. But, but I stopped for all, seven years yeah. because I felt, not guilt, but I felt like, you know, hey, you know, I, I've done this already eight times. And uh, and then I got to do it this year. And it was, I know what a th it was great to do it again. And what a thrill it was for me to do it. Still, and huh? I'm still, still high from the show I taped in January. But are you always in the back of your mind thinking if some band ODs or <laughs> Tom Hanks is throwing up, boom, yeah. you'll go taking off? Yeah, yeah so I put... I, I, Put uh, acid in every band's drink, and if they, you know, if one person drinks it, then I'm all ready to go. Yeah. Um, let's talk about Dave for a second, because we're sure. talking about people who have changed comedy, and I think the thing about David Letterman is that he's been around so long that we almost take it for granted what a radical change uh, that was been, uh, and you can see it not even just in stand-up comedy, but ESPN is the Dave Letterman Network. No one realizes mm -hmm. these guys are doing Letterman's Act 24 hours a day. It's all through radio, morning radio, and this uh, thing has almost been forgotten because it seems normal now, but it all came from David Letterman. And it, that came from Johnny Carson. Yeah. And that came from Steve Allen, and that came from maybe Jack Parr, and, you know, it's just, it all happens, and there are those one-of-a-kinds. Mm -hmm. And those people I just mentioned were those one-of-a-kinds that, that come along once in a lifetime and you take a lot of things for granted you take your family for granted sometimes and you have to be slapped around and say hey wait a second mm -hmm. these people are important the same thing with dave letterman i work there every day and i'm blessed to do it and i never take it for granted how incredibly is because 
you know, I've heard so much and I've seen him so much and he still makes me laugh out loud. Yeah. And it's really terrific. And he's so smart and so great. Some people might get tired, but, you know, it's like the Rolling Stones. They're in their 60s and they're still yeah. getting it done. And Dave's 63 and he's still hilarious and he's still one of a kind and, you know, still unique. But I imagine he's not going to get the same kind of reviews because he's been, you know, people aren't going to go, oh, I got a great idea for a magazine article. You know, look, Letterman's done. But if you do take that stand, stand back for just a second right. and look at it, it's across the board. Nobody used to do, if they had a, a bad prize, they just wouldn't do a prize. That whole thing of, oh, we have a canned ham to give away. Right. That's everywhere now. Right. And no one ever thinks. Oh, you should see, you should see what it's like. I work all over the world as a uh -huh. comic and I go to these countries and they put me on their television shows and it's the Dave Letterman show <laughs> in, in Australia. It's the Dave Letterman show in England. Right. It's the Dave Letterman. And it's all these guys just, you know, aping the Dave Letterman show. The band's over here and, <laughs> and it's great and it's a, a nice, it's a great compliment. You know, when people are gone, everyone re remembers them right. and they, they'll do a thing about him but while it's going on they're like all right the guy's been on for 30 years who's next the people are yeah. always looking for the next big thing but when it comes down to it conan john stewart and they're both fantastic yeah. and i love both of them and i love their work they worship the ground that they've walked yeah on. and th those are two people who get it yeah. they will say well i'm you know i'm aping this part from letterman but i don't think that the audience completely gets that anymore and that's think, okay it's yeah. not important you know the that's accolades and like rich and famous are byproducts of what we do mm -hmm. um, but it's not the important part the important part is to be an artist um, that the audience might not get it it's really not that important it would be nice if people did but people have such short attention spans that people you know they need something quickly and if, if Dave's been doing it for 30 years like okay here's this guy and then when it's over they go oh we've always been there for Dave mm -hmm. again that none of that really matters when it comes down to it it's really he's day in day out for now 30 years in June it was 30 years when he started the morning show yeah Johnny went 29 plus so Dave's doing it a little bit longer now and uh, the funny thing is, too, you always get of the who's going to be the next person to take over the Tonight Show, you know, right. Johnny had there. But it seems like no one says that about Letterman. You'd never get to the point where people are going, I wonder who's going to take over the slot. I really don't think that it'll go on in the same way. I mean, th I think it would almost be a mistake to put somebody back into that. Yeah, I mean, position. someone's going to have to go in at 11.30 if right. Dave leaves the show, and I'm not sure who would do it. I, at first, I always thought John Stewart, and yeah. I, you know, I think Chris Rock is the best comic of our generation and would maybe be a great host. You don't know. You never know who's going to be that, that You know, who's going to be that. And, you know, uh, Ferguson has become an incredible yeah, uh, he's, he's great. guy at what he does, but he does something completely different. He does his own And gig. it's fantastic. So it would be something completely different. It wouldn't be... Um, you know, who who would take over for Dave? It would be the next show that would go on yeah. at eleven thirty. So you think that'll be that type of format? Will just walk away from CBS? I don't know. I mean, mm -hmm. again, people hate change, as we've found yeah. out in our society. People hate it, and so I think people want some kind of comedy show at eleven thirty that's similar to the one before it. That's what I'm guessing. Again, uh, I can't make the final decision. When you looked over and you saw what Conan went through, and Conan had been in that position of doing late-night comedy for 17 years or whatever, move him down an hour, and suddenly the pressure is just amazing. And that's just self-pressure. I mean, you know, if I'm doing a show at 2 in the afternoon for, you know, Joe Corporate Show, mm -hmm. and I'm doing a show at 8 o'clock at night at Caroline's, or I'm doing a, 
11 o'clock show with the seller, I have to be the same comic all the way through and have the audience has to come to you. But people put pressure on themselves. I Watching Dave, because I didn't work t- for Dave at CBS until 94. Oh, no, and he started in 94. I started in 97. Mm-hmm. Um, so those three years, I would watch Dave on CBS, and I thought he was trying to be a little different. I think people put it in their heads. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if he was. I'm just That's what my perception was. And you don't have to be different at 1130. You have to just be yourself. And, you know, it's again, I was mentioning the Rolling Stones. They've, they've done Jumping Jack Flash for 40 years or yeah. so, and they still find another way to do it or a, a fresher way to do it and still be able to make it an interesting. And the same with Dave. I think that once he stopped caring about what other people think, I think that's a key. You know, <laughs> one night I was watching, one night I was just, just hated my act one night. Mm-hmm. Uh, one, <laughs> wait, I'm <am> talking about <laughs> One of the million nights I hated what I did on stage. I came home and it was gray and it was rainy and I was just like, oh. So I went across the street to the DVD store and I got Richard Pryor DVD and a Bill Hicks DVD mm-hmm. and a George Carlin thing I had at home and I just watched them back to back and what really made me change everything I was doing at the time was that I realized that the thread of all the great comedians in the world is vulnerability mm. it's all about and I learned it I got to be friends with George Carlin later in life which was <laughs> you know yeah, I right. die and I'm okay um, <laughs> I can you know I'll be fine dying either way but but it was um <laughs> Good that I got to meet him. And he said, it's never about you suck, it's we suck to the audience. And it's about your perception. It's never shitting on the audience. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of comedians who do that. And they're successful, and that's fine. And that's one way to do comedy. But the greatest comics that stand the test of time, the thread is vulnerability. And the other thread that I found in, in those three guys was that they didn't do what they did for the audience's approval. They got the audience's approval, and that was fantastic and fed the ego that we all have. Mm -hmm. But they didn't do it for love me, love me, love me. And when they see a comedian doing that, it's it's a desperate act. It's like if you go on a date and you meet somebody and the other person's desperate. It just is not a good date. You just push it away because desperation is a sad scenario. And there are comedians who are very desperate. There are some hosts that are that are like that. They're Mm -hmm. very desperate. Love me, love me, love me. And that I find not to be successful over time in comedy Mm. you know once Dave realized he didn't care at CBS like I'm still Dave and this is what I do and if you like it great if you don't like it great I think that was he became funnier or he was really funny and became funniest and I think that's what I saw in Hicks he did what he did and he did it he didn't care if the audience didn't agree with him because it's not about and that's what I find with the problem with Obama. He's the kind of guy who do, who cares that everyone loves him. Mm-hmm. I used to be that guy. Love me, love me, love me on stage. And that's when Bill Hicks said to me, you're such a funny, smart guy off stage, and then you're this pandering <laughs> jerk on stage, and what's wrong with you? And away I, with I, words, and, didn't yeah. Bill? Yeah. yeah, really sweet guy. Yeah. <laughs> and you know what? He had made a difference in my life. Sure. And now I talk about what I care. I've talked about this week, past week, and I was at Gotham for the weekend, and I talked about religion like crazy in the way I really feel but made it funny because that's the other difference you can't yeah. be preaching you got to be funny and I had a great time and if someone didn't like it I didn't care but people liked it because at least I came with my own agenda and I came with some comedy in there as well and it's still that tightrope because you can't you know, treat the audience like they're your therapist. And I've seen guys yeah. go all oh, my life. Well, after a while, you're like, you're like a bad friend right now. You've got to, you know, I'm going to stop answering the phone when you call. So, but you do, and, and you know, when you when you brought up prior, if you go back and watch those things, he is so fragile. 
And yet we remember him as this powerful guy. But everything about him was fragile, but he just put it out there. Uh, Hicks, you and I uh, did a panel not too long ago about Bill Hicks. And um, the fact that after all these years, people are still discovering that comedy, which rarely, rarely happens. Uh, There was something about him where he offstage was the most curious, interesting guy that you could hang out with. And then would take whatever he could grab in, you know, through books or whatever conversations, and then pull that to the stage right. and start to work it out in front of an audience. And that was fun. He didn't care if it was working it out. Yeah, you know, he he had confidence. Mm. When you see him on his specials, especially the ones in England, he walks out. He's like, "I'm Bill Hicks. Here I am. Let's go." Yeah. And the audience really just rose to that occasion. And I learned from that to come out on stage not cocky but confident. And it's really a fine line. But I learned that from watching Hicks. Cocky is almost the worst thing that you can be. And confident is everything that everybody wants. I mean, right. it's the same thing if you're trying to attract a date. They want confidence. Right. They hate cocky. And you know what's interesting? If you watch Woody Allen, who played the nerd, right. He was. you have to be really strong mm-hmm. and confident to be able to play the weak character. The stronger you are, it's like Stephen Wright's sort of character, or Jackie Vernon, or comics of that ilk, the Margaret Smiths and the ones who have the weaker character appear weak, are the strongest performers of all of them. Yeah. Uh, but in the early days, to take that to the stage in the in the rough clubs yes. and make it through that, I mean, you got to be tough as nails. Yes, and that's, that, that was the whole thing. And you, it, it was killing you inside, but yeah. you just go out there and you act like it, it you kill you. And you learn that from watching. You just learn from experience. You cannot teach someone to be a comedian. You either have it or you don't. And once you have it you're and, and you're doing really well, you're still never satisfied because you've got to take it to another level always. So there's always that. Like you say, you, you said something earlier about a comedian and they're sort of lacking confidence off stage or something like that. Reminds me of like a lot of guys. I don't want to give any names, but you know, off stage, people are not that confident. Life yeah. is uh, it's nerve wracking. I was very shy growing up, you know, but on stage, I don't have that shyness. It's very different. It's also interesting. And I met a lot of comedians that will refuse to let success seep in at all. Right. And I think that can also be a mistake. But there's so many uh, comics that will leave a letterman taping after killing and go out and start working on the next set that night. That's you know? the way to do it. Just keep pounding it. Or run over all to the, the cellar and do a 120 spot. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> never give up on that. And it's very, very interesting to see that because I don't think the audience is aware of that at all. I think the audience thinks, hey, that guy went up, walked up there and thought of some great stuff tonight, you know? And that's but, as far as But audiences, <laughs> audiences don't always know all of those things. Like an audience will see a comedian on television and think they're a great comedian when mm-hmm. they, they might not be a great comedian. Um, that's a hard thing to say, but they might not be a great comedian to other comedians. Mm. Um, but because they're on television, automatically people think, well, that person's great. Or if someone's not on television, they go, well, you're, how come you're not on television? Aren't you great? Yeah. You know, how come, but you'll see some of the best singers in the world are playing off of Route 9 in Saugus, Massachusetts or something. There's sure. No, Route 9 doesn't go through Saugus, but uh, <laughs> it's Route 1. Uh, that's how much I know. We'll um, edit that out because yeah, yeah, this is yeah, really yeah, please, embarrassing. Because, you know, <laughs> maps and geography is not my suit. Uh, well, there's uh, a young comic that you use, Tommy Jonigan, who right. did the last comic standing show. I was watching as suddenly people were paying more and more attention because he's on primetime every week, but it took him, what, eight, 
10 years to get to that point right. and have enough material to keep that going. It took me a year and a half to get him on Letterman after I saw how brilliant he was and mm -hmm. knew he was going to be great because he still lacked the poise. And his first Letterman set, even though he was great, was freaking out and you could see how stiff he was <laughs> and how nervous. Right. His second appearance, he got more confident in it. Yeah. There's a guy named Joe Wong who I saw five years ago, six years ago now in Boston, and I couldn't understand a, half of his words because he was from China and his Chinese accent was very strong. But I got his material because I just happened to see rhythmically and that comedically he was a brilliant comic. And I said, once you get the accent to a point where we can understand you, <laughs> I'm going to put you on an American network television. That's so great. Yes. And, and you know, but, but I had to be honest with him. I, you know, that was, and he understood. And he worked and he worked and we worked. And, and there, we, even as we got close to his first television appearance, um, you know, it was interesting. And here's something that maybe he doesn't want me to say, but I'll say it anyway now that I started it. <laughs> is that here's an interesting thing that was really weird for me to do, but important to do, and I'm glad that I did it, and so is he. His teeth, he come from a village in China where everyone, their teeth were very bad. Mm -hmm. And I was thinking, I just gulped because I'm telling the story. But he, I said to him, you know, I want to tell him that he has to do something about his teeth. Because he's going to be on network television, and his material is so brilliant and so one-of-a-kind, so one-of-a-generation. He's a once-in-a-lifetime comedian. And I, I knew that, and I was so proud of that. And I said to him, if your teeth are not taken care of, your people are going to stare at your teeth and not pay attention to you. Mm -hmm. Are you willing to, t to hear this truth? And he said, You're, you know, no one has the guts to, to, to tell me that, but I'm glad you did. And he did something about it, did the television show. Of course, it went the best TV first appearance I've ever seen a comedian do since Stephen Wright's first Tonight Show on Johnny. And uh, his career has, you know, boomed like crazy. And I know that was a small difference. And it's like... I. I have a friend who wore a very bad toupee, like any toupee is good, but he <laughs> wore a bad toupee, and I call, told him about it, and he got really angry with me, and then a week later he called me and thanked me for right. it. You know, so sometimes you have to make that kind of a weird thing, but it's important to tell the truth, to say, hey, look, this is America, and like, look at how this country deals with you know, looks and how important that is. Ricky Gervais, if he was auditioning for The Office, mm -hmm. they wouldn't have Isn't brought him back for a second audition. Meanwhile, he's one of the most brilliant comics of our time. But in England, they don't really, they care more for how talented you are. That's why I like working in Europe as a comic, because the judgment is, is a lot less. They, they don't want any of this pandering. You don't realize how much pandering we do in America. And I'm not saying American comics are lousy or America is a lousy country. It's fantastic. And I'm so proud to live here. And I, you know, a lot of comics go to England and they say, you know, America sucks and love me, love me, pander to the audience. Right. And the audiences don't buy it because they know how great America is. I come on stage and I say, you know, well, you're an, you're, you guys, you know, like I was in Australia. Australia, and a guy yelled out, Bush is fucking the world. Mm -hmm. And I said, well, your guy's working the shaft, and the guy in England's working the ball, so don't tell me our guy sucks. Because I'm not, you know, every politician right. sucks, and don't say that our politicians yeah. are just lousy, you know. But anyway, the point I I, I, I completely forgot about. No, the point is perfect. Yeah. It's about the balls and the, right, shaft, and the shaft and, and Bush every, and every, You never judge a country by its leaders. That's, that's my point. Only by its people. Uh, but, you know, uh, and... Uh, not only would Ricky Gervais right, not, there was uh, have about. gotten on <laughs> the 
on the office, but his entire staff, the cast, right. was so prettied up by the time they got to American TV that you know the, the overweight people were gone and the short guy was gone and everybody you know yeah it's like models. you watch a commercial and there's a certain kind of person that you mm-hmm. have to have in the commercial and it's you know it's interesting how that works in America in England the first time I ever worked in London it was twenty. Four years ago, and I said, it's great to be here in London, which is such, to them, they hate that. <laughs> and the guy yells out, bullshit! That's the first line I said, and I got heckled immediately on my first line. And I went, all right, it smells like piss, and you, the place is a shithole. And then they loved me because I was honest with them, and, and then after that, they were on yeah. my side. But, you know, we say, so many times you go to an American comedy show, and people go, hey, let's have another hand, for, give yourselves a right. round of applause for coming out. And like, if the audience like, fuck you, wouldn't give a round, we don't need a round of applause for coming out. Yeah. The British audience are like, do your jokes and stop. Let's hear it for the troops. You know, like, you know, what, is there one person who doesn't like the troops? You know, one person, fuck the troops. I'm not applauding for them. It's all bullshit. People get fake applause so much in the United States. And it's, you know, uh, often. Not everyone does that. Well, and it's amazing when you're at a club with 14 comedians, if you're in the audience and yeah. you have to, yeah, we're Let's keeping it again going. For the host. It's like we've already applauded him. What is he getting paid? He's supposed to make us laugh. <laughs> for you guys uh, over at the Letterman Show, I'm sure everything that went on with Conan and Jay Leno must have been... Uh, an amazing thing to see because you're some of the few people that know what it's like to be on the inside. See, I wasn't on the inside of the old whatever happened in the old days because, again, I came in 97. But it was fun to watch Dave have fun with it. You know, that was fun for me. He was having a ball, and that's the key. Again, if you're having a ball, the audience is having a ball. And, and, you know, it's just, you know, I I don't want to comment on what guess what Dave's thinking or be inside Dave's head. Mm -hmm. Well, I know from my perspective that it was really fun. It was a situation where, you know, Jay gave the show to Conan. Mm -hmm. And then he said, no, I I want the show back. And, (laughs) you know, to me, that was not cool. No. You know, but... Again, it's not my show. It's not my network. It's not my deal. You know, Conan was great. And, you know, Conan got the same numbers that Jay got in his first when he first started. Everyone had kind of it's just the fickle audience in America. I can predict Conan is probably going to get incredible numbers on November 8th. Uh, Mm -hmm. I'm not sure when this airs. And then it's going to probably tail off because it's on TBS. And that's just the way it is, because people are afraid to go to cable TV. You know, which is weird. But uh, do you think that was a mistake for Conan to go there instead of Fox or something? Or I don't know. I think yeah. as long as Conan's doing what he again, I'm not Conan, but as long and I, but I respect him and I respect his show and I know his writers and they're mm-hmm. brilliant, brilliant men and women. I think I don't know. Not everyone's hiring women. We do. <laughs> yeah, yes. Um, uh, but I, but they're brilliant people who work there and I respect them. As long as he's doing what he likes to do, the kind of comedy that he likes to do, it doesn't matter where he does it, doesn't matter how many people are seeing it, you know, you know, I almost said at the end of the day, which is what I hate when people say, <laughs> the end of the day, it's night. Um, you know, as long as Conan's doing what he's doing, that's all that really matters. Right. You know, here's the interesting thing. TBS is really trying hard. They have the new Ray Romano show. They have they put on George Lopez. They're doing this comedy festival in Chicago. They're really trying to do c- good things for comedy. And that there's nothing bad about that. And I wish them success. Last Comic Standing is the worst possible show <laughs> in the world for the comedy business because it manipulates comedy. There's no way to compete as a comedian against other comedians. You can't right. do that. And that show is not that show is a game show that's manipulated. That ever that these people know what they're doing. They're taking. I saw them. I saw 
saw an audition one night for the show where a comedian did very well and another comedian did very poorly. Well, the comedian who did poorly advanced, and the comedian who didn't do poorly, uh, who did well, didn't advance. It was very weird. And the uh, the comedian who advanced was very pretty, and the one who didn't wasn't as pretty. Right. So what happened was, is when I watched the taping, they had added laughter and applause and sweetened it and made it seem like the woman who was doing poorly did very well and they edited the girl who did well and made it seem like her jokes were disjointed i saw that when i did star search in 1986 when frank santarelli went up against jason stewart and jason stewart didn't get any laughs in fact there was like whoa kind of stuff going on mm-hmm. and frank santarelli was killing when i watched it later santarelli had 30 seconds cut out of a set and jason stewart had laughs and applause added to it and it's interesting how you see how American television works. I did a show for Bravo where they manipulated the show, too, when I decided I would never do reality television. Last Comic Standing is a horrible show for the industry, yet it is fantastic, and I wish it well, because more people see saw Tommy Jonigan mm-hmm. on Last Comic Standing or any comedian who did that show gets the, more exposure than Leno, Conan, and Letterman combined. Sure. So, although it's horrible, I hope the audience knows it's horrible. I know that know it's a game show, know that it's fixed, know that it's wrong. But then they get to see some of these great, great comedians like Roy Wood Jr., mm-hmm. who's brilliant, who got to be on the show and did pretty well, well. You wonder why you just can't put the comedians on there, showcase them, and then next week we'll have another showcase. Why do you think the competition to turn this thing into a game show? Because the game show works. They have charts and graphs and Mm -hmm. focus groups, and they know what works, and they do that. Every reality show is not... It's hilarious. It's ironic that there's there's very little reality. They had a show about, like... uh, high school reunion and there were people who were the nerd in high school was now the football player right. they, they changed people <laughs> around we were taping a show once a reality show and they had me be a judge and they stopped the taping and said please will you um you have to say some bad things about that person and they go why they're not bad they go because it'll look like they're the other person ha- doesn't have a chance to go well, the other person's not very good <laughs> so they so we ha- so I, I i was i felt horrible i changed what i was saying and found negative things to say and when they showed the show later it looked like these two people were close to being very funny and when the judge the final verdict was the person who was funny i got emails going how can you not pick the other person you, you know you're such an idiot how you know you have yeah. but that's because the show was manipulated to look like the other person was as good and here, everything that you believe about comedy is truth with a laugh. Right. And with some embellishment. Yeah. The truth with embellishment. But the truth is still at the it's core. The base. It's got to yes. be at the core. Yes. Uh, and TV is almost just the opposite. It's got to be this fast. Um, and it's almost like it's on a grid where it runs yeah. over and over. Like, what is with the with the audience watching on TV that they don't pick up these patterns and get bored with them? Well, faster. it's it's formula again. It's you know, television really is advertising with TV shows in between. It mm-hmm. always has been from the beginning. Uh, people are looking to sell things. You watch a baseball game on TV, and every space that's available has an advertisement, and that's done for a reason because people are just looking for people to be consumers, mm. and that's the that's the way the world works. Um, network television works that way. 
I can't talk about McDonald's or Coca-Cola or Burger King on network television. Uh, look what happened. Uh, there was a commercial made by doctors who said, look, eating McDonald's is just awful for you and will kill you. And they had a commercial where they had a guy dead holding a burger and they made the mm-hmm. M over his feet and they were going to run it in South Florida on television. And McDonald's said, hey, wait a second. We're giving you this money. If you run these ads, we will pull all of our money. So all the stations in Florida said, you know what? We're not going to show that ad that really helps people's lives and mm-hmm. and points out the bad things. So network television, you can count on the fact that it's a money-run organization. And what's great about Letterman is that he can get away with a lot of stuff within that framework. When we put comedians on Letterman, you're not allowed to say everything that you're allowed to say in the world or on HBO or in a comedy club, but comedians know that in advance. So I say to them, look, here's your album cut. Here's your four and a half minutes of your stand-up. You might not be able to say everything you want to say, but as long as you get the essence across and you're funny, you can do it. Richard Pryor did network television. He did the Ed Sullivan show. He did the Tom Jones show. And both of those appearances I mentioned were brilliant and funny and one of a kind. So you can do that on network television. And as long as you know that, that when you're watching network television, you're really selling things. Mm. There are very few really great television shows. They do exist. Shows like The Simpsons or things like that. You can't find that anywhere else in the world uh, on on any television show on any planet, on any part of the planet except here at Fox in, in the U.S. But then they have their news or they have their, their sports. And then, you know, that's a whole different ballgame. So you have to know that. But that's the great thing about HBO and Showtime and now FX to a point or TBS that you can get away with a lot more. You can say the truth and really get a you can talk about McDonald's on HBO and not worry about it because and that's what makes comedy so brilliant. That's why going to the comedy club is the best possible way to see comedy. To be sitting in that room while it's happening. Because what because every time you breathe in, the world changes. And every time you breathe out, the world changes. And in a comedy club, there's no homogenized, let's cut to a commercial. There's no, the set is being checked by the standards and practices. That is reality at its finest. And if something goes wrong, or someone coughs, or someone steps on a punchline, or someone says something funny in the audience in the perfect space, it will change every single night and every single moment. That's why the comedy club should never be, the, that should be the place that people run to, to see the best kind of stand-up comedy. And isn't it funny, so many guys that do so great in their career get pulled off into different things, whether it's sitcoms or whatever it happens to be. It's one of the first things that gets forgotten about, mm. the stuff that got him there. Except the few people like Seinfeld, who the minute his show was over, he already had his bag packed to go to his first gig, mm-hmm. and he didn't care he's making billions of dollars, which he probably is, with the, with, and he deserves every penny, but he's out there in the clubs because there's nothing like it in the world. I booked the Letterman show. It's the dream gig of all dream gigs for anyone in the world, and I, but more important to me is being able to go do stand-up comedy. How many nights a week are you still doing stand-up? Uh, sometimes seven. Mm-hmm. You know, really? I, I'm a workaholic. I love it. Before I worked at Letterman, I did probably about five to six hundred shows a year. I would run around the city and do three on a Tuesday and six on a Friday and seven on a Saturday just because you can only get better by getting stage time. It's the only way to get better. The mm-hmm. only way. If anyone asks advice, stage time, stage time, stage time. It's the only way. Um, so I love it, and I, I, I can't get enough of it. 
But, you know, even on Letterman, even in the warm-up, which is something we do pretty much similar kind of stuff every night, that we learned how to do the warm-up from the producers at The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson. We have a formula, and it works like a charm. It's still performing on stage every night, and I get a thrill out of it every time. Every night you go out to do the warm-up feels great. Feels great. Uh, walking in the, that theater. That theater where the Beatles were right yeah. there at that spot, or, you know, the Rolling Stones were there, or, you know, I saw Dick Cavett or Richard Pryor for the first time, or these kind of people... It's amazing, amazing. Uh, it wasn't too long ago you guys had McCartney oh. on the marquee and uh, half a million people, whatever, in the street to mm -hmm. see it. And it still has that feeling of it's New York City, it's big show business, and it's it's got to be just insane for you to think after all those shows that you've done, you're, you're part of that now. I know. It, that was one of the biggest thrills of my entire life. I got to meet him and talk to him, and I actually influenced part of the show because the first thing that my, Michael Jackson had just died like a week before, and the first thought in my head, because I'm such a Beatles fan, is what happens to the Beatles music that Michael Jackson has? Mm -hmm. That was my first thought. So I went up to McCartney and said to that to him, and he said, that's what I thought. That was <laughs> two, two really so, sentimental guys yeah. there, huh? <laughs> right, yeah, because, you know, hey, give back this music that belongs to these guys who wrote it. Um, <laughs> so that became the next segment, the whole thing about Michael Jackson and that kind of a thing. So then after that, I went up, I got to stand be on the marquee behind McCartney, yeah. then I went on the street and watched it, and then when I was in the cab leaving, then I got nervous. I wasn't nervous when it was happening because I couldn't believe it was happening, but I was, ne I, I freaked out in the taxi. I just talked to McCartney, I just was there. Yeah. And it was, I am very blessed, and I'd never forget that, that I have got to meet my heroes. I got to sit on the bench with Burt Bacharach and talk to him. I got to meet Sophia Loren, who I had her poster mm -hmm. as a child, and everyone had Farrah Fawcett. I had Sophia Loren. <laughs> I got to, I got, I get to talk to Don Rickles, and I mean, it's a dream. I, and I never take it for granted for a second. Every night, it's a dream come true. I am the most blessed guy. I have a cool job. And then when that's job that I love, love, love is over, I get to do my favorite job which is do stand-up. Well, isn't it uh, true, too, to go back that the heroes that you had when you were a little kid, they stay your heroes. I mean, yes. if Tom Brady came in here, that would be great. But if Joe Namath walked in here, we'd yeah, be like, oh, my God, there's Joe Namath. I, 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 <laughs> You'd I, become like a little kid again. I had a shirt, and I wouldn't take it off. And my mom said, I have to wash it. So I would sit next to the washing machine while it washed. <laughs> came out of the dryer, and then I put it back on. Yeah. Which but is amazing. The one thing I want to bring up, and I, you asked me earlier before we started taking is there anything I want to bring up? And then you brought the art thing. And it just came into my head. Something really cool is going on right now. And it's going to take place. It looks like May is going to happen. I met a bunch of people who love comedy. A bunch mm -hmm. of, uh, you know, people with money and, 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 a, and a love for comedy and a, and a part of the Friars organization. And they are philanthropists and they love art and they love all this stuff. They created the first ever comedy arts and science, the Academy of Arts and Sciences for Comedy, which never existed until this past year. Mm -hmm. They have it for art, for um, for dance, for you know the Emmy Awards and all this stuff. So what we're doing is creating the first ever Comedy Hall of Fame, the real Comedy Hall of Fame. It's really happening. And the first show looks like it's going to be in May on a major network to the first induction of all these comics from before 1920, who were born before 1920, like Mark Twain and you know just Mel Brooks and many, many names like that. Mm -hmm. So I love the art, and this is so cool that I get to be involved with these group of men and women who are who are going to create what's needed to be created f for years and years and years is never happening. 
might actually, if everything goes off as we expect, in May of 2011, it will be the first ever induction for the Comedy Hall of Fame, which is very, very exciting. And the second part of that program that's going on right now is that we have created a comedy curriculum for the high schools in New York City. Because all the art is being taken out of high schools because it's all about numbers and math and science. Well, these very wealthy men and women have decided to put their money up. And now we have four high schools in New York that are having comedy. And these very, very rough high schools where the uh, the attendance rate is like 7% mm-hmm. are now up to like 43% and 50% because kids are staying to go to school to do comedy. So now we're running a, a big thing in New York and Long Island on the 18th of November where David Brenner's nice enough to do some comedy and we're getting some more rich uh, comedy fans who want to put their lovely <laughs> money to help us do this in more schools because no one's paying for this except these wonderful men and women who are who love comedy so much. So we got a lot of really cool things going on in the industry right now. At the same time, we're also archiving all the great, great comedians. We recently, luckily, got Greg Giraldo and Robert Schimmel. Unfortunately, they left us too soon, but we got them archived. We got about 88 comics including Sid Caesar and all this archives for the eventual Comedy Hall of Fame. So that's I wanted to bring that up. I forgot to tell you that I wanted to bring that up. Well, that's great to hear and that's that's really interesting and you know bringing up the two names that you did with Greg and Robert too. Those are two guys that are in this building all the time and while we're doing this series, we always would go yeah, we could have Greg, but let's get him because we can have him every time. Is any time right. we want, he's always around New York. And to not have him as part of this is always something that's going to make me sad. And the same thing about Robert too, because um, so many of these guys, uh, like you, we brought up before with Letterman, it's, it isn't until like, oh, we don't have it uh, that makes you go. That was brilliant. And, you know, a lot of people don't realize that Robert Schimmel is one of the greatest comics of all time. Mm-hmm. And people didn't realize that because his material was X-rated in a sense, but it was so brilliant and so smart. And so the essence of it was, you know, it's more brilliant and one of a kind than anybody. And he he was the guy who, you know, saw me at a comedy club and let me stay at his apartment when I had no place to stay and put it in his contract at APA that I had to open for him wherever we went. And one time, one of the club owners in Cleveland said, I don't know this guy. I'm not booking him. And Robert said, I'll take the money out of my pocket if you don't like what he does. He That's the kind of guy he was. But also, at the same time, and, and Howard Stern realized it, too, that he was one of the greatest comics of all time. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, he died a, a crazy way because he had beaten cancer, and his kid had died of cancer, and he had all these... Uh, marital problems, but he died in a car accident. It's just crazy that it happened that way. But it, the the thing that it's important is to always keep these names alive. Yeah, like Bill Hicks. Um, well, you know, one of the things where you're saying that maybe Shimmel wasn't um, noticed enough, and I and I'll be curious what you think about this, is that there's some athletes that are so smooth that you almost don't. Mm. Con- Mike Smith in Philadelphia never was appreciated because it, he made it look easy. And That's I always very think interesting, that yeah. some comics are do it so comfortably i think bill cosby is almost too comfortable yeah, right. and good at i would what put he him does. as three with prior carlin yeah. and cosby as the top three ever and and but you know what's interesting you said that and you used baseball reference i remember 
they said, you know, Pete Rose was Charlie Hustle, uh-huh. and Frank Robinson, you know, he looked smooth and all right. those things. And Frank Robinson said, fuck that. I worked <laughs> yeah. my ass off. I- yeah. <laughs> well, fuck Pete Rose. That, that, would all, that would always happen with black athletes, where they're like, well, of course he's good. Look at him. He's so good at it. Where, you know, white athletes are just really struggling. Yeah. Uh, right. Here's a workhorse, this kid. Yeah. You know? So there, there are comics <laughs> like that that can just get up on stage and make it look so easy. Easy. Dave Chappelle is a perfect example. I think he's one of the greatest comics in the history of comedy as well. And he got, like, it takes comics. Here's something interesting. Remind me about Chappelle because mm-hmm. my brain will wander and wander. If you look at every successful sitcom, every successful sitcom with a comedian driving the show, the comedian had been doing comedy at least 10, 12 years. Right. Seinfeld, Kevin James, um, everybody, Tim Allen, on and they on had and their on character. and on. Brett Butler, everybody. Every sitcom with a comedian who's done it less than that didn't last one season, less than one season or less. Always. Dave Chappelle, because it takes a while to get it. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they say it takes six years for a comic to get it. You've got, you don't, you're acting like a comedian. But Dave Chappelle is the one guy of all the guys I've ever seen, even Chris Rock, who I wish to God I would be as good as Chris Rock mm-hmm. or close to him as a comic. I I saw him struggle at the beginning and sort of work his way in, but I saw Chappelle get it right away. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, I miss him seeing him around, and I miss his comedy because he can go on, and he still goes to the Punchline in San Francisco on Monday nights and spends two three hours into the night just playing and ad libbing. Another guy that you know, and you talk about you know guys who are so smooth versus Damon Wayans, I think is one of the most underrated comedians of all time. He's you know as close to prior as we have for you know in our generation. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've seen, I've worked with him live. There are just so many great, great comedians. Uh, you know, Paula Poundstone, I think, is one of the greatest live comedians I've ever seen in my life. No, no one has ever worked the crowd better in in any comedy club. And who's the guy who used to book the Tonight Show? He's brilliant. Um, uh, and I love him, and it sucks that I can't. We can't remember his name. No. He booked the Tonight Show for years. The comics, McCall, and it, Jimmy, Jimmy Brogan. Oh, Jimmy Brogan yes. um, had a TV show early on too. Yeah, and he was one of the best comics I've ever seen live too. Him and Paula Poundstone, and again, those two people are not as famous. Well, I think as, Brogan works with Leno, or doesn't he? I don't know. Doesn't he do stuff to help Leno or write? I'm with not him or sure. Something? I just know but, that he was. Uh, but yeah, he was so smooth, and he had a. Uh, like a sitcom or something early on, and it didn't work out. And but was always one of those really comfortable guys. On and I stage. mentioned Jackie Vernon. Jackie Vernon was like mm-hmm. a comics comic. Yeah. And and every every roast Jackie Vernon. And you asked Stephen Wright, who his hero is, was Jackie Vernon, because you know there are those guys that are those one of a kinds and that don't get famous. But that's okay. That's just the way the world is. As long as you know you're doing what you're doing, mm-hmm. and you're doing the best possible thing, that you're being as much of an artist as you can be. I think that should be enough. I, it's never enough, but it. But when you go to sleep at night again, at the end of the day, uh, <laughs> um, you know, you, if you're doing what you love to do, I think you can't ask for more. Did you did you have that same kind of passion early on, or were you looking for the quick laugh? You were saying you weren't that comfortable on stage, or you were too needy. I was I was needy, and I was pandering. Mm-hmm. But I was proud of the material I did. Right. I was always proud of what I wrote. I always liked it. But I look back at it and I go, hmm. You know. <laughs> but but as a as a writer, you just grow. You just can't help but growing as you have more experience in life. I, I'm going to bring up something that I saw you do many years <laughs> ago. I'm afraid. Uh, no, you. Sh- I thought it was the most hysterical thing. But you did a bit on Rudolph the Red Nosed ah. Reindeer. 
And the funny thing about it is by the time you were done that act, it was longer than the Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer <laughs> TV show. It, it, yeah, I remember it was an eight-minute bit. That was When they gave me the light, I knew to end with that eight minutes of Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. You would just barrel into this children's show, just taking on Santa Claus. Because hysterical. Santa Claus is a prick in that show. <laughs> he is just the worst, uh, the worst character is Santa Claus is an asshole. He doesn't want Rudolph. Hey, Rudolph's the best flyer in that class. And they're shitting on him. We're not going to let Rudolph play any more of those reindeer games. Like, fuck you. you should, he should be the beacon for the kids to learn from. And then at the end, Santa's a two-faced asshole. He's like, Rudolph comes in with the nose to save the day. Because Santa Claus is canceling Christmas because it's snowing. It. He works one day a year. That fat fuck works one day a year. And it snows at Christmas always, you bitter prick. Put on the suit and bring. You don't even you the the reindeers do the work. You just sit in the chair, you know. So anyway, so Rudolph comes in with his nose and sounds like Rudolph. Shut up that goddamn nose. And he's like this, and then he's like, oh that wonderful nose. All of a sudden he's two faced and like I love you and Rudolph and Rudolph's like fuck you Santa. I'm not gonna lead the sleigh unless you give me money and fire the coach. And you know, <laughs> it it really should be something that's done at the same time that. Rudolph is on TV. You should just be sitting there like Mystery Science Theater. Right, exactly. Where the hell does this guy get off? Right. Everyone's an asshole to the people who are successful. Hermie wants to be a dentist. It's like, yes, he does. And you're an old fat fuck who's shitting on a kid, and you're making toys. You know, fuck you. Yeah. Right? And then there's the racism. The racism. I don't want any dough of mine hanging out with a red-nosed reindeer. It's like, your daughter's going to hate you because you she's in love with this prick. Take him into your house, you scumbag, you know? But anyway. And, um, well, uh, we're looking at a reckless driver, ladies and gentlemen. He's uh, a one-of-a-kind comic with a one-of-a-kind job working all over the world as well as booking everybody on the David Letterman show. Uh, put it together, Mr. Eddie Brill. Eddie hey. Brill. Thanks, brother. Thank you so much. Fun. Thank you very much.